1: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: At Lexia, we know literacy changes lives. As the gateway to the future for every student, literacy can boost their confidence and help them realize their full potential. Based on the science of reading, our literacy programs, along with all of those dedicated educators can change the path of students' lives forever. We believe literacy can and should be for all. That's why at Lexia, we're all for literacy. Showing your good side has many rewards. Become a donor at Griffel's Plasma, and your plasma can make life-saving medicines. Millions of people depend on these medicines to live healthier, more active lives. And every time you donate with Griffles Plasma, you're compensated you can receive over $500 the first month. Learn more about Plasma and how it helps people at grifflesplasma.com.
1: Hey folks, I just want to take a minute to ask you to go in, rate this podcast, uh, let the team house know how you think we're doing, Go and rate us on whatever platform you're listening to this on, whether it's iTunes or Spotify or whatever else. Uh, Those ratings really help us out, and we really appreciate the feedback to let us know what you like and what you don't like. And uh, if you do like the team house and you'd like to support us, go check out our Patreon page, and you can actually support the stream as well as get access to our bonus segments and bonus episodes.
0: Yeah, if if you're going to give us a great review, please do. And if you're going to give us a not-so-good review, why don't you just send us an email and we'll talk about it. (laughs) Searching
1: for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to amazon.com slash apply. That's amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer.
2: Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today.
0: Special operations. Covert Ops. Espionage.
1: The Team House. With your hosts, Jack Murphy and David Park.
3: I guess some people the link if it's Go live.
4: Jack.
1: Go Jack. Hey everyone. Welcome to a uh, bonus episode for July of the Team House. I'm Jack Murphy here with David Park and our guest here is Kate Rockline. Mm-hmm. This is a uh, kind of a special episode, a unique episode, a little bit different than a lot of what we've done in the past. Uh, Kate has the uh, distinction of, or you have two PhDs, right?
3: Yeah, I have a clinical doctorate and a research doctorate.
1: And you uh, work in academia,
3: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, and your focus of much of your research has been into special operations suicides.
3: Kind of, yeah, in a sense.
1: And you, again, you're in this very unique situation, I think, in that You've studied this subject academically, committed a a lot of your professional life towards it. But at the same time, you also lived it because you were married to a soldier, Mm -hmm. uh, Michael Frody, who served in a secret army intelligence unit and took his own life. Uh, And, you know, I think what's uh, in talking to you and learning about Michael, what's especially horrifying about it is that. Because of your academic background, you, you were studying TBIs way before a lot of people even knew what a TBI yeah, was. Yeah, way
3: before the Army really had quantified Yeah.
1: And so when you saw these things happening to Michael, you knew exactly what was happening. Mm-hmm. But even then, I mean, with that knowledge, I uh, could not stop. I mean, you certainly tried, but you can't force somebody to get help if they don't want to get help. Yep. And, I, I mean, it's just so horrifying and, and, and heart-wrenching that... Um, you know, I, I can only imagine being in your position and seeing Michael go down this very dark path and being unable to um, pull him back from the brink. And, and you two also have two daughters together, yeah. uh, who are doing great today. Thank you, thank God. Um, and you know, we linked up. I wrote an article for Yahoo News about Michael Frody. Um, I interviewed you. I met your daughters. I interviewed Michael's mother. I interviewed other people in the intelligence community to because there was a lot of unanswered questions about yeah. what happened to Michael, what he went through. Um, you were uh, great in the sense that, I mean, you gave me a stack of documents like that tall and had videos and audio and all you like, as far as like journalistically, like that never happens, where <laughs> like somebody has everything all together for you. It never works out like that, but you had a lot of information to give me and that I could complete some of these interviews to try to um, at least try to put the the story together, uh, and and learn what Michael did in the army, what he went through, what his teammates went through with him and um I hope we can talk a little bit about that, about your story and Michael's story, and also about, you know, you can also bring this sort of critical academic lens to this subject Mm. and and analyze it in a way that I think a lot of people can't. So um, I'm really grateful that you were able to come and join us here in uh, in
0: our studio today. I'm
3: I'm really happy to be here. I'm glad I was able to to make the flight. So, Yeah. yeah, I'm glad. Happy to see you again.
0: So can we start sort of with your origin story like yeah. you know uh you know what was your family like growing up did you you know did you have veterans in your family what drew what drove you into your specific like your line of study how did you sure. make, um your your ex, everything like that
3: Yeah so actually my grandfather was a frogman he was the UDT in World War II so precursor to the seals um you know aunts uncles not really in the military uh my dad's side, my uncle, was in the military, and then um, his son, my brother, went into the military. But I actually met Michael kind of by a fluke. Um, I was a trauma nurse in Pennsylvania, and he was in between college and going into SOPSI. Mm-hmm. And so we met, and in true military form, got married like six months later, right. I think. Right, <laughs> so, um, in Michael's words, like, there's no way that I was bringing a Fort Bragg single. Like, <laughs> I was putting a ring on it. So, um, got married at the Infantry Chapel at Benning in 2004. And then he did Airborne, moved to Bragg. And then I started working at WOMAC.
0: Okay.
3: Um, as an ER nurse. And then, um, got stationed in overseas after that. And, uh, I was starting to see these soldiers coming back. So like, 04, 05, 06. Just really like non-specific neurological symptoms, and I'm not like a neuro person. I'm not a psych person. Like I like it when your limbs are falling off, you know, like serious resuscitation stuff. And um, being a military spouse, I would see women, you know, married to you know senior officers or sergeants major, and they a lot of them didn't have anything tangible in their own career to take with them Mm -hmm. when their husband's career was over, their Mm -hmm. spouse's career was over. And so I figured, you know, every duty station, I wanted to get another degree or get a certification or something. And so um, for my master's, when I had to choose a topic for that thesis, I thought, well, it's right in front of me. I'm seeing mostly, I don't want to exclude women, but it was mostly guys um, coming back with these really life-altering blast injuries.
0: How how, they, how were they presenting themselves to these sort of undefined neurological things? Like, what first started cluing you in that, like, something's going on here?
3: What really brought it home for me was um, I had a, a, someone from Ranger Bat sitting in my office bawling his eyes out. His wife had left him. His life was falling apart. And, and it maybe it was the, the trauma specialist in me. And the Army, to be fair, as a civilian, had trained me to the same level as a, a nurse officer, right? Mm-hmm. So... Instead of focusing on like the psychosocial aspect of it, I was focusing on the clinical aspect of it. And I was thinking, what would make your life fall apart in six months right. to this degree? Mm-hmm. And then I was asking, okay, so how are you sleeping? How are you being? like, I'm not sleeping. You know, my appetite's off. I can't focus. And I'm like, okay, have you been in an accident? Did you have any kind of head trauma? And then he said, well, you know. I was around a lot of blasts. You know, there's a lot of blasts that went off and I'm like, there you go. Mm-hmm. So when I asked him, I said, well, how many? And he just started laughing. Yeah. And he's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> All of them. Yeah. 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 He's like, I don't know how many- per day. And yeah. then he was just asking me per day. And then, you know, and then I was thinking as well from what he was saying and then talking to other um, soldiers and clinicians that I worked with, it's, it's the, the armament as well. It's the caliber of weapons. It's, um, you know, all of that blast overpressure is yeah. really, really damaging to very delicate neurological tissues. Mm-hmm. And so um, the DOD in true form, <laughs> um, I did my my thesis work, you know, under their umbrella and they very kindly stole my data, which is fine. Um, so I think in 2009, I had uh, my, so my master's was focused on estimating the incidence of TBI and ground forces from Iraq and Afghanistan, from. 2004 to 2007, and I stopped at the surge because that would have skewed the data. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the DOD and my data were pretty much aligned. I mean, Mm -hmm. statistically, there was really no daylight. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it's a good 21% at that time, so that was like 2009. And then in starting my clinical doctorate, um, because I'd been looking at how TBI was evaluated in the military, and SOF was doing it better. You know better testing
4: mm-hmm.
3: um sean kane one of the physicians um at bragg had written some articles i reached out to him and then just it's kind of like a force come situation where you know two three years later when i started my clinical doctorate i was um working with some 18 deltas just informally at bragg um who were teaching at the schoolhouse <clears throat> and they said you know nobody's ever studied us mm-hmm. our curriculum's from like 1970 80 something Um, we're still doing stuff that has no basis in evidence or it's physician driven. Um, and being a nurse, it's, you have to be able to drive your own curriculum. So for my clinical doctorate, I looked at, um, the framework and kind of the paradigms for how, uh, soft medics are taught. Are they taught from their own narrative experiences being storytellers Mm -hmm. or is it physician driven at the time? It was purely physician driven. So statistically I was able to show that, um, when you have curriculum that's founded in your own experiences and your own practice and not driven by another discipline, um, it tends to be better received, better learned. You know, it's it's, it's um, assimilated better cognitively. So
0: are you saying that, that it, when it's physician-driven, the, the the physicians are saying, this is what you need to learn as an SF medic, and when it's more narrative-driven – that it is like this medics going, this is what we've been seeing out in the field. And we don't like, these are the things we need to deal right. with. Okay. Right.
3: Yes. I mean, you can dig deep into like, is it hermeneutics? Is it narrative pedagogy? You know, all that kind right. of stuff. Um, and there's plenty of physicians in special operations who were long tabbed, who were 18 series something. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's just as many who were never that. Mm-hmm. And they've been assigned to teach and practice within special operations. Without ever really kicking indoors themselves, right? And so when you have that kind of mismatch between experience, practice, and teaching, it can create some chasms. Sure. And then in the midst of that, I realized, oh well, if I if I have a clinical doctorate, then I can't run my own studies. Like that would be difficult. I'd had to. I would have to recruit a PhD to you know structure them and that kind of thing. And I don't know, maybe maybe it was spite. Maybe I had something to prove. But um, on a whim, I applied to, like, the best Ph.D. program in the States. Um, and it, as a challenge, I just kind of said I want to study, like, secondary trauma and, and actually in special operations spouses. And then um, 2017, uh, Mike Montanudo, who was a hockey player, he was in the Disney movie Miracle. He, I think he was out on the West Coast in first group. But he was back at Bragg, and he taught my daughter how to skate. Um, when we were at Bragg, taught her how to play some hockey. He died by suicide within mm-hmm. a day.
1: He was at first group.
3: Yeah, he. But I think he was at Bragg for something, maybe for teaching training. I don't know. And he died, I think, on um, April twenty third, two thousand seventeen. And then within a day, on the opposite coast, Ryan Larkin died. He was a SEAL, SEAL medic, mm-hmm. and his senior medic was um, still is a good friend, someone that I cherish. And he called me, and he was like. This is just reaching epidemic proportions. And so, you know, as a as a researcher, as an academic, I went into the body of evidence. Like, I'm looking through, you know, databases and journals trying to see, like, what is the incidence? And why are these guys dying by suicide? And at the time, it was all men, so I'm not trying to be exclusionary, sure. right? Sure. Um, but I'm thinking, these are, these are like, the most resilient people I know. right. And so, why are they taking their own lives? Is it brain injuries? Is it what's going on? Um, and like, if you if you ever if you've ever been midway through a PhD and you go to your advisor and you say, "I want to switch my topic," <laughs> I mean, they're looking at me like you're out of your mind. Like, you know, you've got just a year and a half left or something like that. I'm like, "Yeah, sorry, this is happening in front of my eyes." Yeah. Um, so graciously, I all like all gratitude to rush university um you know that's science you know you see a phenomena unfolding in front of your eyes and they said yeah go for it so it tacked on a couple extra years um and i I started looking into that doing a lot of um background research looking at the evidence um and there just really wasn't a lot um SOCOM actually hadn't Published any suicide data since like 2016? Yeah,
0: they keep it really on the down low. But though, they, don't they It
3: was almost like, um, like with the change of administrations, it used to be a lot more transparency from really? from you know presidency to presidency, almost. Uh-huh. And then by 2016, it was just like a blackout. And I'm thinking, well, if there's no data. Then you know the military, it's like there's no data. There's no problem, right? Right. Right. Um, but like the New York Times had published on it. Um, there was a lot of print media about it, like about the, the emotional aspect of it or why these operators are dying by suicide. But in the academic, like empirical literature, there was, it's just nothing. And so scientifically, when there's no empirical data, you have to just start talking to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so qualitative research, right. And um, I'm a quantitative person. Like I, I teach graduate statistics. I like numbers. I like the analyses and having those experiences with um within special operations and knowing um a lot of the medics i was able to access people who would talk to me because i had kind of a 10-year relationship with some people in the community where they would actually open up and talk to me so it was anonymous like but i did um, my dissertation on resilience actually because that's the antecedent right right? that's the precursor so we know that you all are probably the the grittiest the hardiest the most resilient look at the training that you've gone through the places that you go to the things that you survive we know that there's no issue with resilience so why is SOCOM throwing millions at like preservation of the force and family why is there like comprehensive soldier fitness and master resilience training like why are these being thrown at soldiers and families, and why is it not working? So when I started digging into that, um, and I think I've talked to you about this, I realized that this positive psychology movement that um, Martin Seligman from Penn, and mm. you know this, you know thinking happy thoughts kind right, of phenomenon, right. like gratitude, and all that's really important. Um, but I really don't know anybody in the community who's ungrateful or. Super negative. I mean, you're 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 salty, right? But, yeah,
0: I mean, a bitching right. soldier is a happy soldier. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, if, I'm if, you have a, if you have a traumatic
1: brain injury, it's not a, a question of just like feeling a little down on yourself. Like, no. If you have a physiological problem. Uh, there's something physical has yeah. happened to yeah. your brain to yeah. change how you think and how you feel and your cognitive yeah. functions. And just like a little uh, mental exercise of like, here's how you should be, feel grateful. I mean, that's not going to help a person going through that. No, right. and
3: actually, for soft, it's really damaging because positive psychology is if you are strange or weird or you know atypical, which all of you are. Let's face it, right? Yeah. Like if you look at like the big five personality traits for soft, you guys are a little like. <laughs> a little bit off the ranch, right? Yeah, yeah. And so when you when you come at it from that approach, from that paradigm, that you know everything's normal, and if you just you know are mindful and you center yourself and you think happy thoughts, which is kind of my you know encapsulation of it, um, that, you're, that your that your suicidality is going to go away, right? No, and so it was kind of this merging of a bunch of different. Um, Issues at once, and then Dan Pearl's paper started to come out of Bethesda, out of Walter Reed, where he was taking neurological tissue from operators or soft guys who had died by suicide, and finding astroglial scarring. Mm. So there, there is a physiological basis. What is
0: the scarring? Can you tell us what that is?
3: I will try. Okay. So, yeah. Um, let's imagine that your brain is like a cantaloupe, right? But in, in the inside is just all jello. Okay. Inside that jello, there's very intricate, delicate connections between um, your neuronal bodies. And I'm not a neuroscientist, so just bear with me. But when you shake it hard enough or you hit it hard enough and you do that chronically over time, it'll actually separate some of these structures. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that separates your neural pathways. It separates, it it prevents some neuroplasticity. I mean, it, it really can mimic PTSD in a sense. Mm-hmm. But if you medicate that the same way that you medicate PTSD, you're mm-hmm. actually going to make it worse. You can actually precipitate suicide.
0: That that was actually going to be my next question. But first, uh, you mentioned uh, when you were... I think when you were in Germany, you, you mentioned that the the, the results were twenty one percent. What, what was are, that? Those are mine. But but what twenty one percent? Like what of what ground was, forces uh, were suffering from some were exhibiting some sort of
3: no that they had been exposed to blast. Okay, right. at least okay. So that's you know just the baseline estimate. If you're looking at a hundred soldiers, twenty of them are probably going to have TBI okay. at minimum. Okay, the number in soft. Um, I be, mean, to pull out my, Anybody my who's been at a
0: event, door yeah. during a breach yeah. and like multiple breaches a night, to, many nights to, to in to a row. Like, un-
1: unpack this a little bit, I mean, I, I think I quoted you in the article that I wrote uh, about explosive breaching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I interviewed uh, Sergeant Major Vining yep. Who, yep. and uh, Chuck O'Connor, yep. uh, who were the uh, Delta Force and Dev Group Master Breachers, respectively. Yep. Uh, and, and also some other folks uh, interviewed an uh, Army neuroscientist at, at one point. And so I thought one of the interesting things was that there's a difference between a blast TBI and an impact TBI, right. like mm-hmm. what football players get, what people get in car crashes. My understanding, at least, is like an impact TBI, your brain and your body will heal from it
3: eventually.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But with a, a what guys, special ops guys or ground forces are experiencing with these blast TBIs, is that blast wave just passes right through? Right. The body. Yeah. Right. And since your body is like what? What are we? 99 percent water or something like that. Well, this. yeah.
3: I mean, if you take a balloon and you squeeze it really, really hard, and then you let it re-expand, if you think think about doing that to the brain and it's just crushed, and then it re-expands, what happens is inflammation. Right. And what follows inflammation is scarring, to Mm -hmm. put it simply. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. That's exactly what's been happening. So this
0: is, I think this is a really important point, because I think that this has been missed for a long time. Um, You know, because when we talk about special operations soldiers, and suicide it's like well that's really weird because like back in the, the 80s or the 90s they did that study to find out that we had more neuropeptide y which helped us or whatever so this stuff but then all of a sudden you have you know this community that you like you say is sort of resilient by nature you know yeah,
3: you're selected for that yeah
0: yeah um and all of a sudden they're not resilient they're they're you know they are you know they are these people who have like singular focus or are able to you know handle massive amounts of stress are now like taking their lives, and I think that initially, you know at least popular wise, it, it was post traumatic stress. They all have post traumatic stress because they've seen on this combat. How were you able to peel that peel TBI away? Because I'm sure that they are. You know they're not mutually exclusive, and and you know they're synergistic probably. But how are, were you able to pull that TBI away and say, look, this like this is something different, and it needs to be treated differently.
3: So, in, in keeping in mind, like I'm I'm a trauma specialist right. Like, clinically. You know I'm I'm resuscitating, giving medications. So, um, there are far more uh, erudite and educated people than I to speak to that, right? But this is my understanding of it. Sure is so post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic stress disorder, that's a behavioral response, right? That's a behavioral response to situations, and some of that's normal. Right. Like combat stress reactions, post-traumatic stress, like if you are functioning normally and you've been in this, you know, situation of extreme stress or extreme trauma you should react a bit to it right Mm -hmm. unless you're sociopathic
0: which most soft people have you got your touch you got a little touch of that but you
3: need a little touch of that right which is why positive psychology and all this like resilience training doesn't really work right um at least on your population so you know they will separate the behavioral response you know if you say you have a broken arm right you know you can't therapize or you know pray away right. a broken arm, right. Right. right? You actually need to set the arm and mm-hmm. fix it. Right. You need neurological rehabilitation, um, you know, and, and of course, throughout the 2000s, especially during surges, and I mean, SOF has the most repetitive deployment cycles. I think, you know, as of 2018, 19, SOF sustains 83% of combat, combat fatalities, you know, the stress that the military has put SOF under is astronomical. And so, you know, when you have a physiological injury, you know, trying to treat it with talk therapy or any other kind of thing, it's not going to work. You have right. to find something different. Right. And I think, you know, the military is composed of extremely well-intentioned people who do genuinely care about its forces. But I think that, you know, the good idea fairy has struck quite a bit. Right. And it has not borne out into good solutions. Right.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, I mean... Also, traditionally, the military has had a an approach to something they can't, they don't understand. As well, you're malingering. You're, you know, you're trying to get out of work, or you know. And I'm sure that it's much different than that now. But, you know, they they can only work within a certain realm, and right. if they find something they don't understand, then they don't understand it. Well,
3: and also, if you think about it, just politically, you know, if if all the generals or all the commanders who would speak back, speak truth to power, have quit or they don't wanna be part of what's going on or an endless war and they've decided to just, you know, tap out and retire or whatever, then you really don't have anyone saying the emperor has no clothes. Right. So then you're relying on um, academics to do it. Right. But then again, you know, there's very few people in academia because they're mostly civilians. Mm who have lived and breathed what you all have lived and breathed, mm-hmm. or at least been married to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got like really great, big-name universities doing really well-funded research. But then I'm looking through the research, and I'm like, wait a second. are so—wait, like, you know, the Army Stars studies and that kind of thing, very well-funded, well-published— but then they would like they would combine their groups as to well these are medics and these are special forces and I'm thinking do they not know that mm-hmm. special forces has medics mm-hmm. like and then you know well special forces has like no risk of suicide well special forces is like 0.2 percent of the population that you studied mm-hmm. so how are you not accessing these people right. right so right. Um, you know, these conclusions that have been reached. Are just devoured and by that was
1: as late as like 2018. Or yeah, something like that, yeah, right? it was
3: like 20, 2017, 2018. Yeah. and you know they were
1: still saying like our, our soft population is like low risk. We we don't really have this problem, right?
3: And you're but at the at the time they were saying that soft suicides had tripled more than like the last five years combined. Like it was just you know taking off, um, and then and then it became this thing in in the academic literature of like well. You know, it's leveled off. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Is a plateau okay with you? Cause right. Because I, I would prefer zero. Right. Right? Like, zero would be a better right. number than just leveling off. Right. Which means they're still dying by suicide. Right.
0: Yeah. Exactly. By mass numbers. It's just, it's not going up, so it's good.
3: Yeah. Like, well, no data, no problem. Yeah.
0: You know, and it's interesting because I wonder how many army officers uh, or senior army officers, because you know they have to they have to get promoted, right? I mean, and they can't make big waves often if they want to. And how, like, for an officer who's given data that says, "Hey, like these TBI presents these risks," it's like, well, they're still functional. Like the you know the mission requires this kind of op tempo. We yeah. can't just bring in a whole new batch of guys. There are no other guys. Their yeah. job
1: is to prepare their unit to deploy and go yep. to war. Yeah. this PTSD, TBI thing is uh, maybe arguably by necessity an right. afterthought. Right. 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 So the war is, is your, your priority. Right. Right. I mean, that's
3: what happens when you don't draft people. Yeah. And as we know, like special forces cannot be mass produced. Right. And you know that bubble... Of mass-producing special operations personnel from like 2002 to 2006 or whatever it was, you know, just this like push to get mm-hmm. a ton of special operations mm-hmm. personnel into, you know, teams and operational stuff gets missed. Yeah, you know, and then the waivers and you know all of right. this like just you know relaxing standards and it's you, you get this you get this bubble and that's what we're seeing 20 years later. Here's the bubble.
1: Right. Yeah. You know,
3: this is what happens when you. Ignore the soft truths. Right,
1: right, and and put the burden of the war on an increasingly smaller and smaller percentage of the military and and the yeah. general population of the country. Yeah. yeah,
3: I think it's like I might. Sorry, finish. The Go ride. for you. <laughs> you. are More than welcome <laughs> to it. It's very much a team room vibe, so I think the whiskey follows.
1: Um. So I, I think just to to maybe backtrack just a little bit and talk about you know some of again because these are things you've studied but they're also things you experienced
3: and not well yeah eventually I did yeah, yeah.
1: to um, roll things back uh, back in time to where where 2007 or so when your husband Michael was yeah. in the military he was in the infantry mm-hmm. deployed to Iraq
3: yep.
1: his vehicle hits an IED and was an
3: EFP it,
1: it was okay
0: oh, I was an EFP
3: right under his seat and oh my gosh. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you happened to know the unit surgeon that he belonged to and called, yeah. called him up And because you, were, you knew about TBIs and you said you need to put Michael in an MRI machine and, and check out his brain. And he responded to you something like, you know, if we put every soldier who had experienced blasts through an MRI, MRI machine, we'd set it on fire.
3: Yeah, and I think at that point they were spending a billion dollars a week on the war in mm-hmm. Iraq. Yeah. But God forbid, like, we have, you know, good diagnostic things. And I think my exact words to him in my email were, you know, Matt, I know just, emu- just enough about TBI to be a real pain in your ass. <laughs> um, and he was like, Kate, sorry. Like, I just, I don't have the, I can't evaluate it. Oh, I'm trying, guys, I'm trying to.
2: At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in-store. So you can save when you order during band practice, or at the dog park, or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability.
1: You can save an extra $10 when you spend $40 or more on a great selection of participating items. Just look for the signs and save at Baker's.
0: up our questions. Go ahead. <laughs>
3: Did you put, put, put a mood music on? No, it is. Anyway, I'm sorry. It's, no, it's fine. Um, it's okay. okay. So, yeah, I mean, I, I got, you know, Michael called me from downrange and, you know, I think he, you know, as somebody like who handles trauma, handles emergencies, handles chaos professionally. I just lost it because I was just screaming at him. I'm like, I need the details. I need to know. Were you unconscious? Did you lose consciousness? How many people were injured? Did anybody in your vehicle? Like I was like just trying to get some kind of like tri- clinical triage information. And when I calmed down for a second, um, you know, one guy had a atta- detached retina. You know, they were all sent to get a good night's sleep or whatever. And Michael was intact. He walked out and it was he was in the most proximal zone for uh-huh. But because he was walking and talking, you know, they just sent him to his connects to get some sleep. And then I just, I knew, like, I I knew, like, um, I don't know, can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Like, um, it was, I knew, like, I was just preparing myself for the shit show. Yeah. And, uh, he had, like, one good year after that, I think, while we were married.
1: Wow. I remember going through his, uh, medical records that you, you provided for me to look through. And, uh. He actually did have like some pretty, I mean, relatively speaking, he, he did have some physical health issues, yeah. I think, with one of his legs. I think yep. he did have some eye issues. Mm-hmm. And then he had psychological issues. And I, I found a piece of paperwork where he had gone to a psychologist, an army psychologist, and reported yep. feelings of paranoia that like people were following him around the commissary, yep. the cars would get too close to him, feel that they're following him, that they're tracking him. Um, and he went and self-reported that. From As as his spouse, I mean, what did it, what did you see when he came back from that deployment?
3: You know, it's interesting because I had this entree to Army medicine that a lot of spouses don't, mm-hmm. and so I was able to kind of shake some cages or rattle some cages and shake trees to get, you know, diagnoses into his medical record without being doubted, mm-hmm. um, and there came a point, I think we were back at Bragg in like 2011 or 12, 12 I think, Um where he was he was so bad it was like like just breakdowns every day and you know he would not go see anybody because of his clearance right and his right. training right and i was like i'm like listen man that they will not pull your clearance for this and he's like yes they will and i pulled in almost every favor that i you know gathered within the last 8 or 9 years and i finally got a command psychiatrist who's a great guy not going to name him but he said, I will see Michael off the books. I will prescribe anything that you need. You know, you pay cash for it, whatever. It won't go into the system. You know, anything that he needs, I'll get it done. And Michael still wouldn't go. Yeah. Because if he was polygraphed for something sensitive right. or, I mean, you know, like the answers that he would have to give, right. he didn't want to be dishonest. And I'm just, like throwing up my hands, like ah, I can't, I can't like, what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. With all of my training and background, I couldn't help him. Right. So I'm thinking, what are the other these other spouses and families going through? It's got to be as bad or worse than what I'm going through because they have no idea right. what's happening to this person that they love, that they've been with, they've moved with, they've PCSed with, like, what's going on?
0: Can you, so can you sort of give us just kind of a, a boilerplate of sort of what his personality or what he was like prior to the blast or prior to the event? And then sort of what you started noticing or what happened, whether it was, over time or suddenly Um, (laughs) post-flash?
3: I mean, no offense, but I mean, you you guys, you guys are tough. I mean, it's not like, you know, you're not, you're not snowflakes or cornflakes at all. So, I mean, that was still there, right? Like, you know, the dark humor, the saltiness, you know, just that kind of, you know what I'm talking about, like that kind of vibe, right? right? But um, he was mean. He just got really mean.
0: And he had never really in all he had never been no I mean
3: like sarcastic fun I mean he was really really funny and and always was but like mean and dark and suspicious and just this general like malaise of just not feeling well Um, you know headaches trouble sleeping you know sleep just became this like precious commodity and God forbid any of the kids made noise or. I, like, checked my phone and woke him up. I mean, it was, he was terrified of not being able to sleep. Um, and I think the year before he... Uh...
0: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com.
3: It's my little escape.
0: Now Judy's the life of the party.
2: Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon.
0: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> the chumba life is for everybody so go to chumbacasino.com
1: and play over a hundred casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes
3: J-j-jumba.
1: chumbacasino.com no
0: purchase necessary void prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details
3: you know got a, a certain higher level of security clearance he actually was on antidepressants for i think a year in 2009 that was the best year like he was just sailing he was doing much better Mm -hmm. and then he went off of him because he had to go into a selection phase for some unnamed whatever unit Mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean it was like it was just like watching somebody disintegrate before your eyes and eventually we had a marriage counselor who used to be a ranger lovely guy in Fayetteville and he had he asked for a private appointment with me he's like you gotta walk like mm-hmm. you're gonna have to walk, and I mean, I'm Catholic. I have talked to my priest, and my priest is like, "This isn't marriage. Like you can't, you you just can't. Like you're you're gonna have to walk." So I did.
0: I I mean, nobody involved you for that. Like you, yeah. you know, There's there's also an element of self-preservation, and not just physically. And I don't know if that was the thing, but but just mentally No, 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 to, no physically, yeah, I'm safe, yeah. Yeah, but just mentally, like mm-hmm. you know, to you, you know, you can't hold on, hang on to a drowning person you know without without
3: and that, that was the metaphor that i used i'm like it's like it was like he was pushing me under just to like come up for air yeah and there's so many spouses and family members who have that happening yeah. where you know they are they're absolutely trying to keep their service member afloat keep the career intact and when you look at the divorce rate you know in the military is just like so tacitly accepted right right, right. um but when you look at the divorce rate and special operations, you can almost use like marital disintegration as like a huge flag, not because it's abnormal, but because when the family goes and the wife finally says, or the spouse finally says, I'm out, they've put up with so much and tried so hard. Right. I think that's really, um... Almost like a diagnostic tool to say right. this person's probably close to suicide. Right. You know, and instead we just accept that, oh, marriages disintegrate because it's a hard life. As speaking as a former spouse, we're pretty fucking tough. Yeah. Like, we can handle a lot. Yeah. You, you guys disappear for months. Yeah. You know, we don't know where you are, what you're doing. Like, we can hang. Like, there's a lot that we can put up with. So when we finally say, done. Right. That service member is seriously, mm-hmm. seriously screwed up. Right, and command and the military is just like, oh, another divorce.
0: And, and I imagine it's very hard as a spouse too, because you know when you've got a family. I mean, not not only for all the reasons that divorce is tough, but but the, in a way, you're responsible for this, or you you're not responsible for them, but. You, but you may feel responsible for them, and it's like, well, if I go and I take the kids, like, then what do they have left? But you can't get you. That's not on you, and you can't get caught up in that, yeah. you know.
3: I think a lot of spouses, myself included, we protect their careers like like rigorously yeah. protect their careers. Yeah. We're hyper vigilant about not screwing them over career wise. Right? I mean, Michael did some really stupid stuff when I was um, divorcing him, and. I really just kind of protected him from that because I didn't want his career to disintegrate. It's,
1: I mean, it's funny, not funny, but uh, I mean, maybe darkly funny in retrospect, but I, I think, you know, like when you're in special operations, the narrative is always like, oh, this fucking woman, she's, <laughs> she's fucking around on him, she's ruining his life, she's ruining his career. And, I, I mean, I've worked as a journalist and I've talked to enough Spouse military spouses over the years that I and I realized there is very much two sides to that story, yeah. yeah. Um, and a lot of times it's because, uh, in and there's a chicken and the egg kind of uh, aspect to this. I mean, is it because of they're, they're dealing with these post traumatic stress issues and TBI issues? But I mean, these guys are putting these women through hell too, a lot of yeah. times, mm-hmm. and, and that's why you're seeing the marriage disintegrate. That's why you're seeing that you know, this guy was already heading down a very dark road, and that's why his marriage disintegrated. It's not that it disintegrated. And then he it's, went It's down. not that right. he's going down this dark road because his wife left him. Right. Like, and just anecdotally on outside looking in, I, I would just note that I think, um, I've seen several times when there is a perception from the soldier that their career is going to shit and their marriage has gone to shit. That, like you said, is a diagnostic. And when you see, that should be like a huge red flag
3: well, in a lot of the suicides and special operations, and I can find you the number, but it eludes me at the moment. Um, within six months of separation from their team or pending discipline, that's when they die. Uh-huh. When they're under investigation, um, you know, for, for whatever, you know, just. I'll, I, I'll get into that a yeah, little bit yeah. later in the story. Um, yeah, but yeah, when they when they lose that family structure, yeah, yeah. Um, Do you know what I'm saying?
0: Do the, you know, in talking about sort of the final separation, Mm -hmm. do those suicides go up even more after they leave service, even if they left after retirement? I don't know. Okay. We're
3: not good at tracking that. And the VA doesn't delineate suicides by, they do it by branch, but they don't do it by MOS or specialty, at least not. I haven't. I haven't been able I to think dive you, I into. I think it. if
1: you were to dive into that, people would be shocked.
3: I think you would. Yeah. yeah.
1: I think they would be shocked. Yeah.
3: Okay. So, for example, <clears throat> um, I know that it, a lot of. Or I've read that a lot of a lot of special operations veterans um, have cardiac issues that eventually kill them very shortly after retirement. I mean, there's actually like changes to the cardiac axis and electrophysiology of the heart. Um, just from, you know, the stress and the circulating catecholamines and all this other is, stuff. Is, is
1: that related to CAD?
3: For coronary artery disease? Yeah. It might be, but also like, you know, you are highly structured personnel. You know, you wake up, you do PT, you do all this stuff. When either, you know, the military structure or the family structure is gone. Right. You're rudderless. Yeah. And that creates a lot of, um, psych ache, a lot of angst. Yeah. And that can also precipitate suicide as well. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's multifactorial. Right. I mean, it's, it's it's going to be difficult to drill down into it, but that's what science is. Like you have to start studying it somewhere.
0: Right. Right. So now, Michael must. I mean, if he was already having these issues before interviewing for other units, I, I mean, those, those those selection processes are uh, are not nothing.
3: Oh, they're insane. So yeah.
0: he must have been very high performing and able yeah, that's, to. That's what's fascinating. And, and able to like hide that from them
3: well when when i had the briefing in 2020 and i was actually here in new York, and i did it over zoom with you know whatever clandestine unit they were calling themselves um you know kind of like 20 minutes into it and you have the video of it Mm -hmm. i was like can we just stop this shit right now can you just stop because this is literally like my my lane this is literally my research is like why these guys commit suicide and I said, your selection process is second to none. It's one of the hardest yeah. in the world for any agency anywhere. Yeah. And you have all of the paperwork that I'm looking at, and none of this jumped out at you. This is like for me, this is like looking at a train coming down the tracks with the sirens going and the horn going and the lights going, and you were just okay with this. Mm-hmm. And they just didn't have an answer. You mm-hmm. know, like
1: yeah, just the medical records you provided to just me. Just the
3: medical records alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, he was Michael's extremely high-performing. He was very good at what he did, and they did conclude in the 15-6 into his death that he had a great persona, mm-hmm. and he did. Mm-hmm. You know, he was able to just put this front up that... It's you know? that
1: while his like personal life was disintegrating, right? Yeah. That professionally he was just moving up and up and up, right? And he transferred from infantry to human intelligence, became yep. a inter mm-hmm. And I showed his ERB to people in the field, and they were like, "This guy was like a machine, right? Like he went to every qualification course. This dude was like in line to essentially like retire as an army humaner and probably go work for the CIA for another twenty years, mm-hmm. like." Mm-hmm. It was just a, an amazing trajectory that he had, and then I, I believe he received some cross training, like cyber warfare stuff, oh, yeah. and was like learning computer coding. Oh, and, he
3: was he was a great hacker. I mean,
1: he yeah. had uh, he he must have had a um, you know probably close to like a genius level IQ. He I, was
3: hella smart, yeah. yeah, really smart. And that was my other question to the colonel and the lawyer from the NSA who was sitting in this you know debriefing with me after their investigation, and I said these are all professional liars. Mm -hmm. You teach them how to lie and they're really good at it. They're gray men. They are absolutely 100% excellent at subterfuge and pulling one over on you, that's their job. Mm -hmm. And you're telling me that you don't have any way to mitigate that kind of bias in your evaluations?
0: Yeah, I mean,
3: how how dumb is that? How dumb is that? That is just baffles me.
0: The the I think probably not knowing, but I think probably one of the challenges if if you think of these organizations that are hiring at this point in time,
4: mm-hmm.
0: everybody they're looking at, everybody they're looking at has has been through, the has the category, been in combat. Yeah. They 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 yeah. all have been in combat. Yeah. They all probably have some form of TBI. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, all of them. And so it, it's sort of like yeah I mean we can you know we can look at his records and and say oh uh, look like this like you said like this is a train going off the rails but you can probably you know pe- people don't start out in units like that they've been other places yeah. and they've done something to earn a spot or earn the you know the sort of um, recognition uh, recognition uh, rec- sorry um, my Re-
3: recognition. Yeah,
0: recognition um, from an organization like that. Um, and so at this late stage in the game, everybody's seen combat. Probably, like, they're like, well, if we don't take somebody like this, like, right. who would we it's, take? It's- okay, so they
3: are pulling from like a participant pool that has like the same kind of issues, but here's where it's different. And, you know, I don't want to sound like, <laughs> I don't want to like insert anything like, woo or like voodoo into this but I remember one day in February of 2019 I mean Michael was really never happy that I left let's just put it that, sure. mildly like n- not happy with me but so communications were pretty fraught so I was not you know predisposed to reaching out to him and being like hey how you doing um, but there was one day in February where I was like oh this is woo, I'm like mm. Um, I, and I finally texted him, and I said, in February 2019, I said, you know, I felt all day like I did the day that the EFP went off underneath mm-hmm. your seat. Like, I, I know something's wrong. Are you okay? Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm not, but I can't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, if it gets dark, if it gets deep, call me. Mm-hmm. And that was when, in his records, that same day, when he finally went to behavioral health because he oh, was, right. he was not doing well. So Michael had a four-month almost lead-up. Yeah. or more, more than four-month lead-up of severe symptoms before he killed himself. And so that's where, that's where the negligence comes in. Right. You know, that's where, right. you know, such, like, this is this is a unit with more money than God. They right. have everything at their disposal. Anything that these guys or women need, they get. Mm-hmm. And they knew it. They noticed it. And they just did not intervene. They didn't intervene.
1: So b- before we, we wow. get there, um, I do want to hit you on a few yeah. a few interesting points, I think. Um, and I, I mentioned just recently on this podcast about the Extortion 17 crash and how that affected so many people yeah. in the special ops community. I was wondering if you could tell the story about how Michael intersected with that story.
3: Yeah, so it was 2011. Yeah. Um, God knows where he was, right? But um, he really good about calling me um talking to the girls and he called me and he something was up something was up and you know nothing in the news had really hit yet and i'm like what is wrong like what's going on and he couldn't say like he couldn't tell me where he was he couldn't tell me what he was doing and he said call <clears throat> he said call this person a friend of ours who had been in ranger bat and kind of in the same line of work let's say mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay. So I pick up and I called him. And he said, um, it hasn't hit the news yet, but let's just say that uh, Mike's office is really empty right now. Could you elaborate? He's like, well, his office was full yesterday.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And now it's empty. Mm-hmm. And so Mike woke up or went into work. And almost everybody that he'd been working with is now dead. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And then, and then that came out in the news. Mm-hmm. I mean, so... I don't even know how to wrap my brain around that. Right. You know, can you imagine? Well, he, he, you, was, he was
1: doing human support to yeah. dev group uh, yeah. at that time.
3: Yeah, I mean, and, you would know better than I.
1: And like, you know, Jack and Steel in the gym with those dudes and then he comes into work the next day and all these dudes are just not there. Vaporized, yeah. done, gone, yeah. Um,
3: that You know what, and he was a lot different after that too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, um, you know, it, it's hard to I only realize it in retrospect also in in talking to people and interviewing people and and I did that story about Bill Mulder also who was a dev group operator um, was having real problems uh, already uh, and said he needed a break went down to Texas on a recruiting job and uh, then extortion 17 happened all of his friends were dead and him and his wife were both like we have to go back Mm -hmm. so they went back to damn neck and um, he didn't get better. He got he got worse. Mm-hmm. And again, the family unit disintegrated. Yeah. He left the family. Um, they had a bunch of kids together, and then he got on a Facetime call with the girls one day with the kids, and the wife took the phone because he was scaring them, and he, he shot himself on on a Facetime call with his wife. And um, we'll talk. I'll, I'll try to uh, bring this back up at, at the end of this. But his uh, wife his widow and his brother in law. Um, who's a former CIA officer, set up this app called Sound Off, and it's designed for people like Michael. Michael is like the the guy. He could be the prototype of the person who would be helped by this app. People who are afraid they're going to lose their security clearance, people who are afraid they're going to face professional repercussions, can get on this app and talk to clinicians who have some sort of background in special operations. I talked to one of them I I know who the people are behind this company, like they're for real. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody in the community who's having these problems can get on this app and talk to a a clinician anonymously, completely anonymously. And if the person wants to, they can then take it the next step and meet in person with a clinician and the military, the intelligence community, the CIA, wherever you work is not going to know about this. Um, so it's just a way to try to get that help to people exactly like Michael, people exactly in that situation. What we're talking about. Yeah,
3: here. I mean, there's they didn't have embedded psychiatry or psychology in Michael's unit. Like you, that's
0: amazing. These, I people, mean, like
3: these these people have to lose their identities and pretend to be somebody else, and then come home and pretend to be right. who they are again. Right. And you don't have him. Well, they're not embedded because they don't have. The the knowledge of the tradecraft or the requisite security clearances and I'm thinking and like so right so send them. So give them the training. So get them the clearances. Read them on, yeah. Yeah, please do. Yeah
1: nope. And so the the next step for Michael, uh as I understand it, was uh he did so he did some Intel support for Third Group. Yeah. Went on a secret mission to Chad doing a sort of reconnaissance Mm -hmm. with those dudes. That was, like, 2015, if I recall correctly. 20, 2015, yeah, 2015, 2016, 2016 yeah. Uh, and then he went into the Great Skills Program.
3: Yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure.
1: Oh, mm-hmm. he definitely did.
3: I, well, um, you know, maybe that's, like, my, my spouse training kicking in. Like, I can't say that name. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> like, so, mm. well, Great Skills is... it. All that is, um, it, it's like a non uh, a non traditional career path right. for humanters. Mm-hmm. and they can go into all these sorts of clandestine units and programs within the military. And so Michael went into that; that was his ambition, right? Right.
3: But still, my knee jerk reaction is, <laughs> I don't know nothing about nothing. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, I didn't I'm not going to say that all. out loud. Yeah. You, out you can days, actually, yeah.
1: Okay. yeah. Um, there's some stuff released and. Uh, and yeah, and, and Michael then made it into that, the unit their non-classified name is ComTech. Yeah. Uh, was it communications technology activities or something down on Belvoir? Well,
3: you know, when we were at Bragg, we were at Charlie Mike's pub on Riley Road and they have all the sailing tiles painted with the different unit insignias. And I pointed at one, I'm like, oh, I know what that is. And Mike's like, no, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, no, you don't. I mean, so yeah, yeah. yeah, I knew where he was working, but it was kind of tongue in cheek. Like, yeah, "Yeah, no. Living near Fort Meade, are you? But not really living. With- yeah. yeah. What do you yeah. do? Logs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an ethical hacker. Sure yeah. you are, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah.
1: so So, uh, Michael uh, got married again. He did. Yeah.
3: Divorced again. Yeah, sadly. Um, she seemed like a nice lady too. That's that's. How, that's sad.
0: Do you recall about how long that married when? Oh
3: God, it was pretty kind of rocky. Yeah. And then like a year maybe. I think I think they were together like three or four years, mm-hmm. married for one and a half and then
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then that fell apart in
3: Twenty eighteen. Because he, uh, he called me in May of twenty eighteen to tell me that I'd kinda of, they had gone their separate ways.
1: Yeah, I mean I'm I'm sorry to go into like all of these details of, I mean, about Michael's life and like we re- I re- we I really went into into all of them <laughs> when I wrote this article. Um there's an issue in his unit where he he was uh he had a relationship with a woman in the unit which she had an affair on him while he was having an affair on his wife
3: yeah
1: and then she was having an affair on him with another with a married officer in the unit and, oh, there's a lot of uh, melodrama that took place during yeah. that time frame and m- according to the letter that Michael wrote, he believed that this woman in their unit reported him. Mm-hmm. As an insider threat, in retaliation for her belief that he reported her for uh, fraternization in the unit with a married man, which I have no idea if that's actually true.
3: It's, you know, it could I don't, be part of. The, I, don't th- I don't. That's not his style. Uh, so I don't think so. I mean, for all of his faults, you know, Mike really, really loved me, and I think he really, really loved his second wife. Uh-huh. Um, so I, it just it doesn't it doesn't track right right, I think that's the paranoia kicking in it, right.
1: it, it, yeah, and the that that was in his mind the rationale for what he believed there were surveillance teams following him around washington d c well,
0: well when did the par- but did the paranoia start much earlier than that?
3: He had like fits and starts of it, and uh-huh. that I was usually able to like kick it like are you serious, dude, like nobody's following us right you know, get some sleep like. You're fine. No right. one's following us. Um, but then, you know, they call it like the MI shakes where mm-hmm. they're just so attuned to being right. suspicious of everybody, everything. Right. I mean, there would be points where like I'd come back from Target, like, were you really at Target? Yeah, dude, you wanna see the receipt? Because I don't go to Target without dropping like three hundred bucks. Right. <laughs> like, trust me, I was at Target. Um well, well, what do you what do you do? And then and then at that point too, I was working with Um, some special operations, medical personnel and research and initiatives and that kind of thing. And so I was around men who actually really respected that I was married, but that was not right. I mean, that like increased the paranoia as well. So yeah, I think it was just the paranoia really. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that kind of like that last like six months where things really went downhill. Um, and that paranoia did kick in. Yeah. And Michael came, he was, so he got deployed to Vietnam, mm-hmm. uh, again, sort of like a, a recon uh, prior to president. Well,
3: he, he entered Vietnam. He entered through Vietnam. What he did after that is up for debate.
1: Yeah, true. Uh, we yeah. have photos of him in Vietnam. Well, uh, right. <laughs> Cruising around. Um, Vietnam's
3: really close to a lot of other countries that we're interested in yeah. in that area. Yeah, so.
1: and, and this, was, this was just prior to President Trump's meeting, the, the summit with the North Koreans yeah. uh, in Vietnam. I uh, came back from that uh, deployment and it seems like that's when things really started to slide down downhill for him. Yeah from from your, your point of view, what were you seeing?
3: You know it's interesting. Um, all I could really see on my side was that he just wasn't showing up for his kids mm-hmm. And so you know nor, you know being a normal ex-wife, you're like, well, wow, what a deadbeat like not seeing your kids, mm-hmm. you know. And just thinking, okay, well, he's a jerk. But in hindsight, in retrospect, realizing now, oh, okay, he really could not engage with anybody at that point, right? Um, yeah. So I think that was part of it too. I mean, I actually I was living, I was teaching at the University of Tennessee, and I drove the girls from Tennessee to D.C. Actually, so that's I mean, that's a hike. Um, so that he could spend a weekend with them. Cause I'm like, well, I'll be fucked if, you know, he's not going to see his kids. Like, right. I don't give a shit what the excuse is. I'm, I'll drive him up to see him.
4: Right.
3: And that was the summer of 2018. He saw him Christmas of 2018. And then I don't think he saw them again before he died. He was actually supposed to see them. Like he died like two or three days right. before they were going to spend right. some weeks with him that yeah. summer
1: from the the paperwork I looked through and the interviews I did with various people, I mean, some of the things that he had going on down there in the Washington, D.C. area, he thought there were surveillance teams following him around wherever he went. He was writing down license plates, people, uh, cars
3: outside his home. Um, Oh, I got his phone after he died. The photo roll is full of license plates and cars. Well, and
0: I mean, the the challenge is, even if you're just doing training, if you're out on a surveillance, like exercise, Mm -hmm. like, like... like, you know SDR and stuff like that.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: If if you, it's easy. It is the way people like look at you that you would never notice before. You're like, oh, they're following me Be- only because you're doing like honest yeah. dance. Like it is easy to start getting it in your head that, that here's, everybody's. Here's, looking here, here's at you. an here's
1: like, an, here's an interesting detail, mm-hmm. Dave. Uh, about that is that that in the records and what I found that I think speaks to Michael becoming ar- increasingly irrational was what he was doing when he thought people were following him, he was doing things like pulling a wild U-turn, getting up behind them, jumping out of his car and taking pictures of them, which is the exact opposite right, of, of what how do. we train people to right. do uh, surveillance But who said right. he
3: was doing that? He did. Oh, okay. He
1: did, he told a co-worker about that. He's like, I want them to know that I'm
0: trained. Yeah, he was going into, like, yeah. He was uh, very, provocative. He was going provocative, which you should never do. Yeah. If, so he was
3: impaired right. to the point where he was not there, using right. his training. There was right.
1: a, another um, another document somewhere I was reading about um, uh, how a coworker from work came to check on him, and he was unscrewing all the light bulbs in the house because he thought there were Mike. surveillance Which is devices. bizarre. Like
3: that's not how they would surveil him. Light bulbs? Really? Yeah. Like, is Again, it
1: 1940? Yeah, It speaks to yeah. the irrationality. That's what I'm saying. He, he's showing the behaviors not of a, of a trained professional, intelligence professional, right. but rather something more akin to like schizophrenia. Well, right. he, that's
3: exactly it. He was starting to show schizoaffective symptoms. Uh-huh. And that's what really pisses me off, is that he would be at work and reading the reports and then talking to his coworkers after he died, or even while he was in ICU. I'm thinking, he, he was... He was starting to not be able to recognize faces.
1: People he worked People with People he colleagues. worked with. Right.
3: And command's just like, okay, well, go home and get some rest. Are you fucking kidding me?
1: Right. And then, uh, let's see, a few months before he died, he wrote that letter to his command sergeant major. Yeah. Uh, requesting to be taken off mission. Ooh, yeah. And I read that letter and... It is the. It, I mean, a non clinical term. It's the ravings of a madman. Like yeah. this is like this yeah. is really serious. Yeah.
3: So you have this high speed, highly sought yeah. after, highly trained. I mean, workhorse, like best of the best. And then you're seeing him disintegrate, and your thought as a commander or as a sergeant major is just like, oh well, you know, you're going on leave, and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It boggles the mind. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The the. I'm sorry to say that the 15 fifteen six investigation I read was a check the block.
3: Oh it was bullshit. a oh it was mess. Like yeah. I'm glad they redacted the name of the person who did it because I'd be like, Were you born yesterday? Yeah. Like have you ever been in the military? Yeah. It was awful. Like they didn't even like they didn't even get his family tree right. Like and the thing is, they didn't interview me. They didn't interview right. his second ex wife. Like they didn't ask anybody with working knowledge of this guy's they, they wanted it to
1: go
4: away. They really
3: did. And they that wanted. You know, and I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to become a conspiracy theorist in the midst of talking about all of this clandestine right, stuff. Right, right. Why would you want it to go away so bad?
1: Right. Because the, the last thing they want is somebody like me picking away and peeling or away me. at it. Or, right. And yeah. talking about the unit and what they do.
3: Like, I, you know, honestly, I felt kind of bad for them. Like, oh, you done fucked up. And oh, by the way, <laughs> you fucked up and... The first wife of the guy who died has a literal PhD in this shit. Right. I hope you were losing sleep at night. Right. Because I'm coming for you. Yeah. Honestly. This the, is such bullshit. So
0: what what steps did you take? Like, what? how how did you manage it with your knowledge, your background, and your connections?
3: Oh, sorry. The, the AC is really low right
0: yeah, now. Can we, uh, yeah. Okay.
3: What is so it, like 104 degrees it, in New it, York City yeah, it's
0: like <laughs> that. It's sweltering. Yeah. yeah. It's
3: so bad. My hair was done before I got here. Um, say again. Ask me again.
0: So with, with your connections in that community, with your background, your education, yeah. um, like like how did you manage that? Because you you had a lot more resources and a lot more knowledge than a a typical spouse right. would have.
3: Oh god. Um it's weird because that he died like six months before COVID hit, right? So Not only did, like, a pandemic just completely shatter, Uh you know, any kind of um, ability to really get anything done, but, like, I don't know, where do you start? Like, hey, my ex-husband died and he's part of this unit that has no name? Right. Who do you call? Right. I call Jack. Right. (laughs) Because you had interviewed me about TBI, about the breaching thing, right? Mm -hmm. And then just, like, you know, through happenstance, we started talking about Mike and his TBI. So, um... The army wasn't listening. That's for damn sure. And so, you know, being a former DA civilian, a military spouse, I figured, well, the military is afraid of two things: lawsuits and press. Mm-hmm. So I started talking to the press. Mm-hmm. And I was in Canada. I'd moved there after Mike died, with the with my kids. So. Um, it was when Trump made those stupid comments about, um, in Baghdad Yeah, uh,
1: al-Assad, uh, yeah, like,
3: oh, they're just headaches. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what it's like to have somebody with just a headache. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what it's like to be married to somebody who just has like a headache. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was terrifying. Like I'd never been, I was not like a media hound. I really didn't want the attention. I wanted, I literally moved to Canada to just like live a quiet life after my children's father killed himself. Like mm-hmm. I just wanted no attention. Mm-hmm. But there's families out there who know that it's not just a headache. And then after talking to that reporter and realizing like, oh, okay, this starts to shake some trees. Okay. And so, you know, you're the fourth estate, fifth estate, fourth estate. I think the, I think the fourth, I think or fifth, fifth column. The fifth column, yeah. Yeah, you the fourth estate and fifth column. Yeah. 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 And so that's, you know, mm. that's why journalism and a free press is so important because, that's the check and balance, right? right? Um, so if the army's not going to listen to me, Jack will. Right. The Canadian Broadcasting Corporation did. Right. CTV, like all you know, all these other outlets did. So
1: just a few things to touch on before uh, getting to that point. Yeah. The um Michael out at the out on a smoke break articulated his death plan to a coworker. Right. A few days prior.
3: I mean, like really specifically. Very
1: specifically, yeah. he said exactly. He, he yeah. named he named the parking garage. Yeah, and said this is where I would jump from. Yeah, the colleague I'm sure feels horrible to this day. Um, meant to report it, but didn't report it. Uh, and then what did we have? A uh, the day of, he was about to go on leave when yeah and the girls the were the supposed girls. to go up and see him. Mm-hmm. And he uh, drove his pickup truck up to the parking garage, smoked a couple cigarettes. Uh, I believe he left his cell phone. Inside the vehicle, and then he threw himself off the parking garage. Massive head wounds. Yeah. And that was... Uh, you, had, you got an email from Michael that day, On right? a Sunday. Yeah.
3: Like, thank God I was, like, tenure-track because you're terrified to not... To miss an email, and mm-hmm. I was checking emails on a Sunday. And I got this email, and I'm like, this is bizarre. It's like, you know, I'm being followed. I went to see uh, behavioral health, but it was actually the CIA and I can't sue the US government, but you can. And I, I picked up the phone and called his mom. And they were—they didn't know anything, but they got a call from the police and they were on their way from North Carolina, from Sanford, near Bragg, um, from North Carolina to Maryland. And so I, nobody knew anything, right? Mm-hmm. They had just gotten a call, like start driving, mm-hmm. okay? And I think maybe it was his girlfriend who had called them. Um,
1: he left a, uh, a death note for the girlfriend, which I, I read completely off the wall. Oh, it was,
3: yeah, yeah it was, that was bizarre too. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm thinking like, okay, if he was severely injured and he was in Maryland, where would they fly him? Like, where mm-hmm. would they take him? So I called, um, Artem's Kelly shock trauma and I called their like charge nurse line and you know, the nurse mafia taking care of their own. I said, "Hey, here's the deal. I don't know what the hell's going on. But do you have a guy in your trauma base named Michael Frody?" And she's like, "Yes, I do." And I said, "Okay, I'm going to need a full report." Mm-hmm. And it was it was ominous. So that's how that went down.
1: And, and so you went down there with the family. And um,
3: oh, I drove mm-hmm. really fast. Yeah.
1: And, uh, and and you know, Michael was eventually taken off life support. He was not going to make it.
3: He was not going to make it. Um, he was in. Neuro trauma ICU Um, I got there about 11-ish And his mother and brother Were just spent They went Mm -hmm. to The hotel And um, I went to the hotel And then It's kind of like Jurassic Park Like when the kids Were in the car And they're like We left him? We, We left him? And I remember I got out of the shower And I'm like Just dripping And I'm like He's alone? And I got dressed And went back And then I spent The last night That he was alive with him Gave him a bath Talked to him Played some Mitch Hedberg, some like just stupid shit that you know we used to just really enjoy, um, and just talked to him, and then they took him to the OR in the morning to get his organs.
1: How did uh, how did his unit respond to all of this?
3: You know, it's really weird because like when I walked into the room, you know, after into his ICU room after I don't know. Ten, nine, ten 10 years of working with operators or medical guys or 18 Delta types and that kind of thing. I walked in and I'm like, these are not door kickers. I'm like, this is odd, Mm -hmm. you know? And I understand now that they were more Intel kind of geeky tech types, which is fine, Mm -hmm. but they just, they didn't have, they didn't seem to have the same kind of grasp of the situation where... Like if I'd walked into like an ODA, right? You know? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, so the they're, pure they're, they're,
0: support wasn't quite there in the same way that it would be in a in a, in a yeah, team. Yeah, they
3: just seemed dumbfounded, uh-huh. and I'm thinking, who are you people? Like, what?
1: They who, hire these going like on? virgins on these units to to be like. Intel dweebs and stuff like that. I mean, well, I don't want to call them dweebs. I mean, yeah. they go like, through a lot of that's,
3: training; like they're very smart people. Yeah, they I, I think
0: lot. I think that a lot of it, more but they're so, is, they're socially stunted a lot. Of well, times. I I don't I mean I don't, know, I I don't know that I don't know about that. It's just a, I mean, I'm they, a nerd. Like, they, they work. I think part of it is is they work more on an indi- individual basis, and you know. You know, they might do trips in Paris or whatever, but but I think that generally like you don't have the same team mentality. The same cohesive well, type of
3: Well and that's the thing too. Sorry I interrupted. No, that. please. So if you think about it, and I'm not trying to like, you know, any trade secrets, but you think about insulate versus isolate, right? Right and I'm not saying they had any role in his death or that they could have prevented anything but when you think about the cohesion mm-hmm. and why guys in special operations are dying mm-hmm. they they die by suicide when they're separated from right. their team when they're being
4: mm-hmm. when they're
3: under suspicion or being disciplined or how they're somehow othered right Right. right. and that really is contravenes this insulate versus isolate mentality mm-hmm. and so it's almost like I would conjecture that Michael was isolated okay. instead of pulling him back into the fold right. and saying, buddy, we know you're hurting, right. we know something's going on, we got you. Right. You know, it was like, oh, what's going on here? And that makes it worse. Right. right? He, he
1: wrote that he felt ostracized by the For fears. sure. Yeah. For
3: sure. And he was pending discipline. He was under investigation for God knows what. For, right. For having an affair. Like, who the fuck has not had an affair, right? Right. Um, so I think, I think they were just really stunned. Right. Right, because they maybe hadn't seen operational guys go downhill, you know? I do know. A
1: few uh, addendums to all of this. Uh, you know, a month after Michael took his life, you had a guy in TFO, uh, in Task Force Orange, a secretive JSOC intelligence unit took his own life. I know what TFO is. About, uh, I know you do. Okay. <laughs> not all the people out there Sorry. may not. <laughs> Uh, and then a month after that, a, a second operator in the unit took his own life. Um,
3: well, and the sergeant major in Mike's unit, and then the commanding general.
1: It, so, um, sitting on top of Army Intelligence, of course, is Intelligence Command. The CSM of Intelligence Command was under investigation for, uh, I, I think, technically sexual assault. It, he, uh, while intoxicated at a party in Japan, he like slapped a female soldier on the, on the ass, So not like a totally irredeemable person, but he made a mistake and was under investigation for it. And he decided to take his own life. Uh, And then the commander of INSCOM, who would have overseen the investigation into Michael's death and into his own Sergeant Major's death. He
3: did oversee the investigation into Michael's death.
1: Yes, uh, because we have the paperwork with his name on it. Yes, we do. Uh, and after he retired, uh, he went out, as I understand it, went out, uh, for dinner with some other retired officers, totally normal day, and then went home and and killed himself. Mm -hmm. So if you were to dig a little deeper into INSCOM, INSCOM has a constellation of different units, um, kind of scattered around a few different places in the United States and OCONUS, they have, um, a real problem with suicides and even some murders. Uh, and but my my comment about you know somewhat tongue in cheek that, but it's true that in inscom, and I had a conversation with some people in inscom about this. They have some very immature personalities. Um, they're people who are maybe like a little bit on the spectrum. Uh, people who are not socialized properly. And again, this is anecdotal. This isn't based on any sort of clinical trial. Probably because no such thing exists. Right.
3: Well, um, not in the military. God forbid we investigate right, something, right? Right.
1: So they have had they've had a series of problems with mm-hmm. this, um, and there are other there are other issues in in intelligence command that I haven't really written about or talked about. Um, like one one thing that I was told about was uh, how they have a lot of young guys, young dudes, doing um, document exploitation, mm-hmm. is what we call it, and through that job, they are unfortunately exposed to a lot of child pornography all mm-hmm. the time. And that stuff, as law enforcement organizations understand, you have to cycle the police officers. Right. right, Because right. they fucks with them. Right. And they don't, as I understand it, have not done that in NSCOM, and it's leading to psychological issues in some of their soldiers. Um, so there are, <laughs> I, I mean, there's a, a strong case to be made that IG needs to go in and turn the place upside down. Yeah but as a friend of mine once remarked, how far does an IG investigation go inside a special access program? Mm -hmm. Not very far at all. Right. Um, so there, there is definitely a case to be made for reform and Michael, Michael's story is one part of a much larger problem that exists.
3: Well, okay. So Speaking of somebody who's, like, diagnostically on the spectrum, I mean, that doesn't really, it doesn't predispose you to being immature or suicidal. What it does do is it, it, it can isolate you socially, Socially, right, right, yeah. right. So you may, like, you know, you put me in, a like, a cocktail party that's, like, a nightmare hellscape. Mm-hmm. You put me into a unit of people, like, socially, to socially navigate that is, you know, is atrocious. Uh-huh. In the military, a lot of your career rests on your social acumen, right? Right. So that's probably part well, of it we've, too. We've talked
1: about it with SOF a little bit that we're looking they're looking for people who are a little bit outside the norm, right? But now is uh, the the CIA I think is deliberately making an attempt now, not saying that anyone's wrong, to hire people who are more neurodivergent. Oh,
3: the, term, the FBI is as well is the because term they use our now. pattern recognition is outstanding. Right. But you need yeah. right.
1: For, to do these increasingly technical jobs. Yep. You need people who are not, not quote-unquote normal, mm-hmm. right? Um, but now you have you have people who are abnormal. How, how do you how do you compensate for that? How do you deal with that? How do you treat those people? Well, the
3: thing is, like you know, being on the spectrum, being neurodiverse, or anything like that, it's not a behavioral issue, right? It's a it's a processing but it, difference, right? It may
1: predispose right? the well, person I, to certain I, things. The way can't... soft personalities are predisposed towards uh, risk taking behaviors.
0: Well, shall we say. I mean, but I I, I mean, and you can speak to this mm. more than me, but I don't think that it predisposes. I I think that. You know, it has to do with... with but, but but also, it's not that, like, if, if somebody is somewhere on the spectrum and has, like, social anxiety... Or, or not as much, like... um, You know, if, the, if they're not an extrovert or whatever, and they, they don't deal mm-hmm. with that... That doesn't bother them. Like, if that's not... That's not, like... You know, it's not... It's just a normal thing. I'd well, prefer not to be around. Well, and if you look like
3: at, you know, like, guys from Delta, like, they're just a big bunch of nerds. Right. Most of them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you don't, you look at them, you're like, oh, like, the, like, like yeah, you don't really look like Rambo. It, but fortunately, they, they don't. Like, right. they, you need that kind of diversity of perspective and processing, right? right? And, yeah. and
0: like, when when we talk about normal, I mean, I, there's, there real I don't think there really is any normal. Um, I mean, you know, we we're talking about kind of soft people earlier, yeah. and. You know, and I remember when I took the MMPI, uh, you know, to go to Sodic and stuff, and you know, and I was joking around with the doc. He's like, "Ah, did I pass?" And he goes, "You did about, you you did exactly what we're expecting." (laughs) And I was like, "Well, what do you mean, what you're expecting?" And he said, "You know, you have an ego. You, uh, you know, you have sociopathic tendencies, but you're not a sociopath. That, that, that you have the ability to compartmentalize." He goes, "You know, uh, honestly, he goes, we see." This massive sort of convergence, of like test results between special ops people and the criminal population, we just don't know why why one goes one way, the other goes the other way. But they have, you know, similar, you know, some similar mentalities about stuff. So, like, we're not normal, you know. But I don't think that anybody is really norm. Like, there's a real right. norm. But my point yeah. is, like, they're in, they're intentionally uh, recruiting
1: people who have a certain set of like personality behaviors and whatever those personality behaviors are i mean it comes with some baggage as well you think about the special forces guys who their dick gets them in trouble on six continents and drinking and everything else like that it all kind of seems to go hand in hand I, i i
0: i mean i would i would argue that it sort of starts at they're not ordering they're not like getting personality behaviors they're they are getting people that are capable of performing a job whether it's whether that's cyber warfare, communication, special operations, like they want people who are good at that job. The people who happen to be good at those jobs often are, like you say, people on the spectrum, they're better at pattern recognition. They're better at like sitting down and focusing on something for a while. You know, you look at an executive or, or like a CEO, there are, you know, the things that makes a person a good salesperson or a good CEO is like they can't like, stop doing those things when they're not yeah, doing yeah, their that, job. Well, I mean, That's you right. look at it I mean. like
3: in my line of work, you know, how can I resuscitate a, a a dying baby? Right. Because I'm able to suspend emotion. Exactly. Because I'm able to focus on the task at Right. You know, how did I and you know, of course I would have to do like years of further research, but how did I come up with a model as to a theoretical model as to why these guys are dying? What right. are the three main reasons? It's because, you know, I'm game to immerse myself in tons of research and my own research and to just like marinate in it and until a pattern emerges. So, right. you know, you need those kind of aberrant un- untoward weird weird kind right. of people to do it, right? Right. And you know, maybe I was just the right person and the right ex-spouse at the right time because I didn't live it. I mean, when Michael was in the ICU, I was emailing my PhD advisor and saying, "Hey, Funny story. Right. Um, you know the research that I'm doing on suicide and special operations? Well, currently I'm sitting beside the ICU bed of my ex-husband who's in special operations and he just tried to kill himself. So, um, and they, you know, them all being like normal, fairly neurotypical people, they really thought they were going to lose me, that I was just going to quit. Right. And instead I'm like doubling down. Right. I'm like, well, this shit just at home. Right. This is really real now. Right. Um. And so if it's okay, I'll tell you like. Please. Th- this, this is what came out of the research that I did. Yeah. Um, which was actually hard to do after Michael died because it's like any PhD that you're doing, you're staring at this stuff, you live and breathe it, and right. then I've got like two little girls who're traumatized, and you know I'm like, oh, okay, I have to finish this. So this is this is what I found after interviewing guys in soft Delta, um, you know, seals and all the secret shit, where you know they half of my my study population was like. Can't really tell you what unit I'm in, which is fine. Um, so they were all male, um, and they'd all been in soft for over 10 years. Some of them had been in for decades, and this is what I found. They're, all of you are high performers, obviously, right? So when you have a high-performing and self-concealing and professionistic mm-hmm. traits, mm-hmm. those three things, and that's supported by others' research, and that triad seems to precipitate suicide and soft. Mm-hmm. So yes, you all are high performers and you are really great at not telling people what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so high performers, self-concealers, and perfectionistic. You are the best of the best, mm-hmm. obviously, right? And I see this in students.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And I in, in students in my program, I see this, now I see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, who are the people who are most likely to just flip a switch and take their own lives. Right. And I'm not talking about people with, you know, severe psychiatric issues or, you know, like complex trauma or that kind of thing. Who are the people that you never expect to die by suicide? Right. And it's the people who have those three characteristics. And to my knowledge, that is not something that the military has identified. Right. The military and SOCOM especially, um, they have this habit of othering. Uh Well, that's not who we are. That that person who was suicidal or died by suicide, well they had marital problems mm-hmm. and they had financial problems right. and they had alcohol problems and they had this problem, that problem. Those are indicators. Right. Those are indicators that this high performing professional is going downhill fast. Right. And it's so easy to marginalize and other, make that person an other.
0: Right. There is a reason that they did that. Yes, not, they're not like yeah, us. Yeah. They had
3: all these problems. They're just, you know, an aberrant finding. And, you know, the rest of us are just this, you know. We're alphas. We're alphas. And we're right. totally put together. And, right. you know, never laid on a bill. And we don't buy trucks with a 20% APR and all right. that shit right. Right, so, right, you know like, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Like we don't do that. Right. you know, we're we're good Christian white guys who yeah. go home to their wives or no, you're not. Like, let's be honest. So, um, when you see these, you know, normal, well- performing people who start to slide, you know, they're not sowing their oats. They are probably close to killing themselves. It's a cry for help. It is yeah. a cry for help. Mm-hmm. And I, almost a year to the day after Mike died. So, you know, you you had a traditional route test off. I don't know your route because I just met you.
0: I mean, my route, you know, was pretty yeah. traditional. So, yeah.
3: like, you're in the infantry or you do whatever. You go to airborne, you go to selection, you're, right. you do the Q course, right? And then, you know, early 2000s, you have all these guys um, going through as 18 x-rays, right? Mm-hmm. So, for for lack of a better term, I'll call it a chalk, right? Mm-hmm. So, in Mike's alphabetical chalk from, you know, A to F. So, say there's eight guys. I think half of them are dead now from suicide, and one of the most put together, like, through all of our, you know, marriages, divorces, you know, lives, whatever, like when Mike called me to tell me he was getting divorced for the second time, I was in San Francisco at an 18 Delta's med school graduation that, you know, we were really close to. So all these guys that started out as like baby 18 x-rays together mm-hmm. um, in 2021, the most stable family man put together, whatever, um, Chris Baker killed himself in California and I just spent you know months in New York running the COVID hospital at Columbia with Jeff Everhart um you know also an 18 delta you know also did SOPSI with Mike Jonathan Brandon was an 18 delta he's the physician whose med school graduation I was at when Mike called me about his divorce so you know all of these like these intertwining lives that started together in 2004-2005 um You know, Mike and Chris are dead. Mm -hmm. And Chris Baker, without going into details, because I don't want to, you know, insult his family, he was an 18 Delta and he knew how to make sure that he was not going to survive his injuries. Right. And, you know, I get a phone call saying, you know, Chris Baker drove to a parking garage and I'm just like, oh fuck. Oh fuck. Like, if the most put together, Mm -hmm. you know, nuclear family kind of something's up. Mm-hmm. sum things up and mm-hmm. one dissertation can't solve it right i i can't and there's like i you know like we need a team of scientists to really look into that
1: i i honest to god have never done it because i don't have the heart to do it uh at this point but my company in ranger battalion the amount of guys who are not here anymore who died unexpectedly mm-hmm. It's too horrifying to even like really like sit down and start writing the names out and figuring out like how many. It's a lot.
0: From from what we know right now, from what you know and what your research and, and and other people in the medical community, is there especially if if Michael's you know like his the end was started with that TBI. Do we know if there's an intervention point that that can mm. can stop that from happening? Or is it basically, are there medical interventions? Or is it basically just keeping them from self-harm?
3: Well, you know what's interesting is that when Mike had his TBI, I was working in Germany with this old, crusty, retired 06. He used to be an ER doc, and we were working primary care and we're both emergency clinicians, so we hated it, right? Mm. They were like, where's the real stuff? Like, where's the gritty stuff? And when Mike got blown up, um, Bill Zash, funny guy, but anyway, he said to me, he's like, you know what? They would put all these guys in a funeral barbital coma for a couple of days, mm-hmm. and give them a complete neurological rest. We wouldn't be seeing the shit that we're seeing right now.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And I was like, you're nuts, but okay. But, I mean, there's no intervention.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Because it's, it's just, and I don't wanna use the word cannon fodder, but it's like, okay, you had a night to sleep, Let's send you back out there to get blown up again. And it's sequential and it's chronic. Yeah. Right? And the breaching that you all do cannot be underscored. No. Well, not only that, like, remember when they had the sensors? Mm-hmm. On yeah, the helmet. The overpressure sensors. The overpressure sensors. Mm-hmm. And then you had guys going up in the little birds with, you know, whatever caliber. I'm not. They, mm-hmm.
1: they the going on the helicopters would max out the overpressure sensors.
3: Well then in firing weapons from a helicopter. Yeah. yeah. Like they're just taking the sensors off and like throwing I, them away.
1: I, I've talked to a JSOC sergeant major who said they used yeah, they, they use them and they were pegged out all the time. And it gets to the point, well, if we're not going to do things in an, in an overpressure environment, it very quickly it's the point, well, we can't do anything. Right, Yeah. right. So and and, and that's
0: the challenge is it, you know, like you say, it's just, okay, dust them off and put them back out there. But the, there are really no other They don't have, you know, just a line of people standing behind people like they ready to take their spot when they need a break they, like the, it doesn't exist they don't. i
3: mean the, your deployment cycles are unreal
1: there are though some uh like chuck o'connor is, is really the guy to talk to yeah, about uh, yeah. changing when we did a, a past episode interview with him if you guys want to check it out where he talks about how we, we can we can adjust the ttps the explosive mm-hmm. breaching uh standard operating procedures you know, he, he says how there's institutionally a feeling that breaching has to hurt, that it has to hurt. And he's like, that's just not true. Right. You follow the correct procedures. It doesn't. And yeah. yeah, you don't have to injure your, your own men uh, doing explosive breaching. Um, if you do, there's like maybe that 0.01% chance that you have to do an explosive breach in a hostage rescue situation. There are maybe certain missions of such national importance that you do have to have the operators that close to the breach point. But that is very, very few and far in between, and there's no reason why we need to have soldiers and marines standing 15
0: feet away from the breach point in training and and, and subjecting them to that. I, 15 feet, I wish. You know, right, <laughs> like, yeah. like, like there. I mean, I remember breaches that like. Like, I dropped to my knee because, you know, it... You know, and it's not it's not the breacher's fault, you know. No, it's they, not. That's they're running up, putting a, a charge on a door that they don't know what's supporting that door. So, it's like, we're going to go in one charge. Well, this is going to be the charge. P for plenty. We're getting in this door. And when you're like, one, two, three, bat, it's like, there's the breach, and then... And then a while, you know, then however long goes by until you're actually like cognizant again and and ready to go
3: through the door, you know. Well, you know, remember in the '90s when it's like it's the economy stupid. Yeah, it's the brain injuries stupid. Right. And you know the way, at least in my estimation, to make the military change their tune is like let's make it profitable. If you could convince. You know, the military industrial complex that changing the way we fire weapons or the caliber with which we really need or the way that we breach or the way that we, you know, go to war. Right. If, you know, if there's a lot of money to be made in making it safer. Sure. Yeah. Then be all over that. Right. You know, right. So, so what's. Make the, it worth their while. You know, it just seems like we just have a lot of, like, you know, wet blankets mm-hmm. in, you know, decision making positions right now who just don't know what else to do. Yeah. Like, well, first of all, stop listening to people who are self-proclaimed gurus mm-hmm. who come to you from an Ivy League institution and are like, oh, well, I know how to help soldiers feel better about themselves. Fuck
4: you. Right.
3: Like, fuck you. Right. Talk to the wives, talk to the spouses, talk to the families. We've actually lived and breathed it. And right. we have this, ob- you know, it's not objective, but we have a line of sight on what these soldiers and personnel go through that you can't get from, you know, some research institute, right? Right. And, you know, it just, and I'm not, I'm not blaming anybody because, you know, 2012, I think Casey was, was he sacked sec I don't know. Casey, general? I can't remember. There's a lot of names in my head right now. But, you know, if you have somebody coming to you from a prestigious institution saying, I can help you with the soldier suicide problem, you're going to, you're going to bite on that hook. Mm-hmm. I get it. hmm but even when, and I had to do this because I was in the middle of my PhD, I had to read the fine print of their studies. Mm-hmm. And for legal, for legal reasons, they don't assess suicidality in all of these post-deployment batteries. And these guys know that they're not going to get redeployed and that their careers are going to go down the toilet right. if they don't respond perfectly to everything. Right. So they're gaming the system. Right. And um, there, there's this term in research is called the screw you phenomenon where, and it happens in the military, where if they're forced to do all of these post-deployment or pre-deployment or everything like that, well, screw you. Right. Like, they're just going to game it. Right. And, you know, just the lack of statistical rigor and the lack of scientific rigor in some of these really large studies that the military is relying on is astounding. Right. Like, my graduate students would not pass their, like, comprehensive exams if they'd done it with the same methods that right. the military is using the study four or five hundred thousand people at a shot it's it's it blows my mind
0: that's uh, you know it, it it's uh it's frightening because you know we, we we're talking about people who are on active duty who are doing this which i guess are numbers that can be tracked or that mm-hmm. that are tracked in some way and and I feel like people don't wanna know what the post service because while they're still in service, they still like a lot of them, they still have um, they still have that job to cling to, right? Mm-hmm. Unless they do something that, that creates the discipline right. and, you know, but they still have that job to cling to. They t- they still have people around them, uh, you know, that that, that they that they're performing for. Like I, I'm not gonna let my buddy on the left or write down, I'm gonna, you know. Right. But then you get out and you don't have that anymore. And then, you know, you're dealing with uh, a civilian populace that doesn't give a fuck about what, who you were or what you did. Doesn't have the same type they of They do,
3: but they just don't know. Yeah. Like, they really, really care. Yeah. There's just no frame of reference. Yeah.
1: You well, know? That's why you see these, like, sergeant majors and colonels, they retire and they just live in Fayetteville. Because they can go on the base. People call them by their old rank, you know. Well, that,
3: I mean, they can go into, you know, any restaurant.
1: Right. And just They're not. Yeah.
3: I mean, it's very. Like, it was. It's really hard, even for me after um, divorcing Mike. I stayed in Fayetteville for a couple of years yeah. because how else am I going to explain my life? Like,
0: it, it's a whole world. I yeah. Mean, like, it's. It's.
3: Yeah. Like now, like I'm teaching in Canada. I'm in an administrative position, and you know, <laughs> to try to explain, like, yes, my first husband was literally a spy, and he killed himself, and. Well, that's kind of a buzzkill. Like, right. how do you even have that conversation? Right. 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 Um, you you can't. And um, even I mean, like, even being at Fort Drum versus Fayetteville, just even like a difference between specialties or branches. Right. You, nobody understands that. Right. Nobody gets yeah. that. Right. And
1: that only increases, I think, when you get into these little compartmentalized, compartmentalized intelligence outfits that you know Michael was essentially part of, like a sub subculture. Uh, like very few people who understand that and, mm-hmm. and, and can relate to it.
3: And who are we going to talk to about it? Right. Even from a family perspective. Right. Like, how do you go to a therapist about that?
0: I mean, <laughs> honestly, like I, I, you know, um, when I first joined the VA here, they made me go through like this mandatory yeah. like uh, six month, and I, like, I hated him. I, he was a nice guy. If I'm sure you never watched the show, like, and this is years ago, but. I hated like our sessions because I felt, you know, here was somebody with nothing, and they don't necessarily need to have our background to be able to talk to us. But, but it's also like, I don't know you. I'm not going to open up to you. Like, I don't have any, you're not just going to sit there with your degree and, and think you know what's best for me. And that's how I felt. Now, I could be completely wrong, but, but yeah, like, you, you know, you, you, you want to feel if you're going to talk to somebody. I mean, let, here's an example. Because there was a, a woman who I first met with um, who, I don't think she'd ever been in military, but she'd been around the VA for a long time. And, like, she talked, too. Like, she mm-hmm. like she would relate. She would tell, you know, I know that the therapist's mode is to sit there and, and, you know, just kind of take it Receive in. Receive it. Yeah. Right. But, like, if she would tell me, like, times she had fucked yes. up, or, like... It it goes, okay, now this is just a conversation that I'm having with another person, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of, like, me sitting here talking to some dude who doesn't, like, know shit about the world I come from. You know, and it, I don't know, it's very difficult, and so when you lose, like, that peer network, and it sounds like, even though Michael was still active, like, he, like, the, because of how they were, you know, segregated or whatever. Right. That, that, um, and, and him isolating himself more, but But when you lose that peer network, you know, and I think that's even, like, post-service, like, that sort of peer support thing, like, dudes flying places, because you'll take another guy from, you know, spec ops or another guy going, hey, like, shut the fuck up, put on your clothes, we're going to go get, you know, grab a beer, you know, or whatever, but it's so easy to isolate and start going down, 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 like, in the civilian community.
3: Well, you know what's interesting is that Mike's memorial service um, on Fort Meade. You know, one half of the, it's a big chapel. One half of the chapel is filled with like blue suits, right? Uh-huh. Everybody's in their dress blues, and then the other half of the chapel was all of my military spouse and army family who had flown in, drove, driven in from everywhere, uh-huh. just to be there, uh-huh. like for like a two-hour thing. Like that was it. Just you know, like ride or die just there. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, and the night before and the night after, like, I mean, when I, you know, took or walked down with the elevator or whatever, you know, they wheeled Michael down to the OR to get his organs. Um, you know, my first call was to a military spouse, bestie that I'd been in Germany with who lived in DC. And I'm like, oh, uh, Mike's dead. So, can I come stay at your house because I'm really tired? Like, and like of course, like everybody took off work. I mean, no question. Like we're gonna sit there, we're gonna drink all day, and we're gonna play cards. Like just we're, those are the people who walk through the fire, with right? You, hands down, right? Um, and I love civilians. I work with civilians all the time. I'm technically a civilian, but to ha- you know, to not have that kind of frame of reference, right? It's just so exhausting to explain yourself to right. somebody. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I ran into um, a woman who, a colleague who was having. I didn't know her from Adam but she was on a really hard day and I just wound up talking to her and she's like I don't think you'd understand like you know I'm married to a guy and this is in Canada right like I'm married to a guy and he's special operations and it's just really bad and I'm like oh really? Yeah. Really? Try me sister. Try me because I can we can talk all day. Yeah. We can talk all fucking day about yeah. this honestly. Yeah. Because I do know. Yeah. I do know what it's like. I know what the sleepless nights are when you're on your knees crying. Yeah. Like please make them better. Like, yeah. You do know. Yeah. And there's only a certain select group of people who have lived that and walked through that. Yeah. And so to be apart from that, like, I get why all these veterans live in Fayetteville. Yeah. Who else is going to understand? Right.
0: right. Yeah. yeah.
3: You know, nobody chooses to live in Fayetteville. Yeah. Like, when, when I was driving here and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be just on time. And I figured, like, I'll just tell them. It was kind of like, like Riley Road or, like, it was like right. dodging <laughs> dodging cars on boat, like because of the traffic. Right. Like, there's just certain things that you're inculturated with that nobody else is going to understand. And if it's true for us, then it's got to mm-hmm. be true for the spouses. It's got to be true for the guys.
0: So, so how, like, because we deal um, with both, you know, with, with a lot of our guests, with both post-traumatic stress mm-hmm. and, and with the TBI. And again, I don't know that the medical community at large is even because even post-traumatic stress isn't a specific thing, right? It's, it, it's, it's
3: it, yeah, it's a, di- it's spe- multi yeah, There's right. a lot of different things. Um,
0: but, but I think that the larger, the medical community at large it, it does, it doesn't even have the awareness yet to try to separate those out. Um, that if somebody goes in presenting of any kind of behavior, then it's probably post-traumatic stress and we're going to treat for post-traumatic stress. Like how, how do like how do we deal with this how do we help people from this point moving forward
3: um so well, that's that's loaded right yeah. um so you were in for over a decade easily 8 years okay um so let's look at let's just look at it like you know time wise so a bunch of people joined the military after 9/11 you know patriotically and now, so I'm 42, right? So I was 21 when mm-hmm. 9/11 happened, and a bunch of you and a bunch of other people were like, "Hell yeah, I'm going to go fight for whatever" because somebody attacked my country. Well, now we're on. Now most of those people are in their early 40s, right? Right, and you know, time lost is brain lost. So these are these are chronic degenerative issues that are going to get worse over time. Right. And you know, writing them off as a behavioral response is it's lazy. It's mm-hmm. clinically lazy. Mm-hmm. Because it's not just that, yes, we have behavioral responses to things, but all of you are trained to the nth degree to deal with things behaviorally. Mm -hmm. You're chosen for your ability to handle things behaviorally. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this is going to be physiological. And unfortunately for the military and for the medical community, if there's not money in it, Mm -hmm. then it might not get solved. But here's a really good idea. How about we not go to war for 20 years? Yeah, no, that's a great idea. That's a starting point. That's a really good starting point. How about we not say... Mission accomplished. Right. Two years into it, and then stay there for another right. 18. Right? How about we have a draft? How about we share the suffering? Right. Because the burden that has been placed on special operations is inordinate, and in my opinion, it's criminal. Mm-hmm. The fatalities, the injuries, I mean, just the lives wrecked by the op tempo, the repeated deployments, the strain on your bodies, like all of you have the joints of 80 year olds oh, by the yeah. time you're 40 50 years old like i mean no offense but no i just had another like, knee
0: surgery so i totally understand
3: and and just like you know we're just really starting to understand like the neurohormonal aspect of chronic stress and what that does to you know your cardiac function your neurological function um, just your ability to receive and, you know, process emotions or be engaged or so show love and emotions to other people, you know, God, God, bless my kids, but they're like, mom, we swear to God, we swear to God, if you date or even like God forbid, marry another guy in the military, <laughs> like, yeah, they're like, we'll disown you yeah. because you know, you are lovely, solid patriotic, you know, strong, you know, kind people. But when it comes to the relational aspect, it gets ruined after it, that many deployments and that much, Yeah, you know, how do you come back from that? No, absolutely. You know? So to answer your original question, I mean, it's going to take a consortium of independent researchers who are able to say no to the government. And unfortunately, the government gives our funding. Right. And that was another thing, like doing this research um, for my Ph.D., and especially talking to the media and suing the U.S. government for Michael's death—not suing, but the tort claim. Yeah, I'm like, well, good thing I'm in Canada because I can kiss any federal funding goodbye. Right, and I am sure I'm on plenty of blacklists. Right, you know, fine, fuck on I
1: I did want to ask you about yeah. that, uh, and and that was kind of like how we concluded the the article about yeah. Michael is that when Trump signed the NDAA, uh, I can't remember exactly what year it was, but it. it put a crack in the ferris doctrine that. It
3: was Rich Stayscall. He was a um SF guy, a brag whose lung cancer that you could have seen from space on the scans mm-hmm. was just missed. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he God bless him, like he got that overturned, the ferris doctrine.
1: And so the the ferris doctrine for people who don't know, it prevented uh soldiers from suing the US military. Yeah. Uh or their family
3: members. Well, right? that was supposed to be like in World War II about like combat injuries. Mm-hmm. And then the military creatively expanded it uh-huh. so that even, like, even, like, birth accidents or, you know, a spouses who received medical care on post couldn't sue. I interrupted. Sorry.
1: Well, so you and Michael's mother have both filed tort yeah. claims yeah. Uh, for damages, claiming damages right. for Michael's death. Um, it's, correct me if I'm wrong, it's different than, like, let's say a trial right. where you're looking for some sort of conviction or some sort of apology even, or, um, or a concession from the U.S. government to say, we did something wrong here. It's really, you're making a claim for, for cash damages, for essentially. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they're going to say yes or no. And they said no. They did come back to, to you and say no. To me
3: and Mike's mom said really? no. Really? When did that happen? Oh, um, April, May. Or March or April, yeah. Holy shit, I didn't know that. Yeah, sorry, I should have updated you. Yeah, so they, um, there's like, yeah, there was no medical malpractice. Well, like, listen, idiots, that's not what we're claiming. We're right. claiming negligence. Right. Because as federal employees, which members mm-hmm. of the military are, they are beholden, and Mike died in the state of Maryland, thank God, uh, for small mercies, because in the state of Maryland, there's also additional, um, you know, kind of riders on that, is that they basically failed to intervene. They were not criminally negligent because it's a civil process, right? Right, right. Um, But they sent him home to die. Right. So they denied it based on medical malpractice. And then I'm like, well, I don't know if you're illiterate, but there's two points to that. One, medically you didn't intervene because nobody said, hey, this guy is psychotic. And you let him walk around the D.C. metro area with state secrets in his head. Which, right. Okay. right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, that's kind of dumb. Like, I'm surprised that these people are still in their positions because right. that would get you fired. Um, but, okay, so maybe there's a medical malpractice, but there's a whole other part to the claim where it's negligence. It's just pure negligence. And so, um, that's the part that they didn't address that I can, I can reclaim for. Uh huh.
1: Well, also, I mean, does this now, uh, are you now going to escalate this into a lawsuit? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I got time.
0: Like, and, and really, I mean... That is how that's sometimes the only way It is the only to to, to I don't wanna say teach the government a lesson, but to to get them to course correct to change things is you have to make it hurt.
3: Yeah, and like You know, it's my siblings and I, we're just kind of communicating movie quotes. And I don't know if you remember the movie, like, Man on Fire. Yeah. There's, like, anybody who was involved, anybody who benefited from it, I'm coming for you. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Cannot fucking wait. So have you
0: guys, I mean, I'm sure you have. uh, Do you have plans to expand that out to a class action for all families who's, who's like, you know, special ops people have?
3: I think that's a fabulous idea. Um, but you know how they say, like never be the first in anything. Sure, I'm the first, right pretty much right to sue or for lack of a better term to sue the government for wrongful death for a suicide, especially post Ferris, right? Mm-hmm. You were the
1: one that told me that the the army only responds to shame in lawsuits. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking of having a tattooed
0: on my chest. And, yeah, yeah
3: well they they you know, the shame it, it's so easy to not be ashamed by it because it's always somebody else's fault, right right. right. um. But if they have to pay out a couple million dollars, and if I set precedent, or when I set precedent... Right. Then hopefully other families can just be like, oh, see that precedent? Where, like, Rockline versus the United States government, see that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's going to probably force a change. But the key is, there's not a lot of attorneys who have either the balls or the experience to take it on. Right. And if they do, they're involved in, like... Um huge like other cases and they you just don't know what to do with it like right. it doesn't really fit medical medical malpractice mm-hmm. so it is wrongful death but like who do they really go after right so I would regret I would hate to do this, but I'll just go after everybody individually right I know their names yeah I know the names of everybody in his unit yeah and I'm sorry man like so. Sorry, but I will go after you. Right. The person who heard him articulate his plans for death. You didn't do anything, you're negligent.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, I'm sorry that I'm gonna ruin your career, but you're you were a sergeant major and you didn't do anything, I'm going after you. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sometimes you just have to hurt feelings and step on toes so mm-hmm. this shit doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. Cause if I could prevent that right. for like you know, what my children have gone through. Right. And they're doing really well, right. but like that was really hard. Right. It's still really hard. It never goes away. Right. I would just prefer nobody else goes through that. And if that means that I have to start, you know, kicking in doors on Capitol Hill, I'll do it. Right. You want to, you want to sit me in front of a Senate Armed Services Committee? I have binders. Yeah. Like I can sit there for hours. You're right. And I can answer all the stupid questions that stupid people want to ask me. But there's also going to be smart people in that room, too. So, are
0: there are there any politicians who have or retired military with cloud or anybody who has taken interest in this case or not this case but this cause?
3: I don't know because I haven't gone there yet. Okay. Um.
1: Dave, I think uh, D sent you some questions on your uh, phone. Okay, just one.
3: Yeah. That one person who's watching. <laughs> it's
1: probably, it's probably that sergeant major that you're thinking.
3: So. <laughs> like, Please don't sue me. I have a 20 percent APR on my truck.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so where are uh, where are you today? What what is your uh, where's where your work taking you? Uh, what are you working on now?
3: I put it down for a little bit. Yeah. It, it, it that was a grind. Oh, like, yeah. It it, it rocked me for a bit. Um. Like, it's really odd to, like, defend your dissertation and have pictures of your first husband in there, right? Right. Like, so, I mean... Right. I had to breathe for a bit. Um, I also had to, like, go on antidepressants. <laughs> I mean, it's... Not only is it, like, the aftermath of dealing with Michael's death, but also, like, oh, I have to finish You're, this. like, reliving it all the time. Yeah. Because, yeah. So, yeah. it was re-traumatizing. Yeah. So, I, it's been a year yeah. where I just... I didn't touch it. But what's weird is that it bleeds into other areas. So, like um, like emergency docs and nurses during COVID, you know, why are they now suicidal? And people are like, okay, oh, well, you've done research on this. So I started studying that. And actually that's why I was overseas. I was in Scotland presenting on that. So I studied, like, um, I did a study on suicide, suicidality in clinicians during COVID and same thing. They're high performers they're self concealers or perfectionists and like they're, they're suffering. So there's, um, it, it, it translates to a lot of different professions, right? And I even see it in like undergraduate nursing students too. Um, but as far as doing more research or continuing or like doing another round of interviews with operators or like putting out more, you know, trying to recruit more participants, I had to, I did not touch it for a minute.
1: I decided to take a break too after, yeah. after Michael's article and the one I wrote about Bill Mulder and I realized it took me so long to write those. And when I would sit down at the keyboard to write, and, like my hands would not move. Yeah. And I realized, like, I've just been covering this stuff for too long. Like I need to take a break from yeah. it for a while.
0: Has there, um, whether it was part of your research just, you know, in general, because, you know, we've been talking about the military and special ops, but now you're talking about another community. Yeah. Um, and, I, like, I've always had this idea that, you there's the suicide is also mimetic, right? That it's also like it. It, it is a socially spread um, illness. At times, when when one part of a community starts doing that, it gives then, permission to the rest. It, it yeah. It it puts it. It's it's there. You know, like it, it's it's now sort sort of part of. The thought process.
3: Yeah. Um, People see it as a solution or at least an option.
0: Yeah. And especially like the more people you see from your community, the more it seems like a valid. Because, you know, well, that that guy wasn't weak. You know, he was tired. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not depressed. I'm just tired. I'm just, you know what I mean? And like, what else is there? I've done it all. You know what I mean? So, so sort of that.
3: That I agree with you there. I also think there's a desensitization that comes, right? Okay. Like and I and I see this too in like my own clinical background is that death isn't scary anymore. Right. Like I've seen a lot of people die and so have you. Yeah. And no offense, but some at your own hand, right? Yeah. So um it just it's just like it demystifies it. Yeah. And the older we get, like Life is not simple. Life is complex. life is hard, and right. people die, and you know it's tragic and you get heartbreak. and there's all sorts of good things too. But I mean, hence the antidepressants because I found myself thinking, I'm like, wow, Mike really is in a better place. Yeah, because you leave all this tragedy in your way right. Um, and it's a release. like right. or it's an escape, right right. So I, right. I, I see what you're saying about the mimicry of it, right? Yeah. like it it kind of gives people permission. Mm-hmm. But it also can be enticing.
0: Right. No, I, absolutely. Like, like,
3: like the, the, God, if you're dead, you don't have to deal with all the right. shit that we have to. Right. I and mean, you guys are dealing with a lot. There's a long war.
0: Right. Yeah.
3: And it's a long life after that war. Right. Right? And also, like, the relationships that... And I'm not saying that all of you get divorced or all of you have bad relationships, but the ones I've that... I've only had two divorces. Yeah. I mean, Jack's only had
0: two. Oh, I mean, two. Was,
3: yeah. Well, now I'm... Now I've got two, too. So yeah. I mean, like... Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, the you know people who haven't gone through that in special operations are kind of unicorns right so I think death is kind of welcome in a sense right I mean that sounds really bad no I,
0: I totally understand because yeah. it's not I think that a lot of people when they look at you know a lot of civilians or a lot of people outside the community when they look at the special force community and if they think about suicide it's like oh yeah they must have seen some really horrible shit and that's why and really I think that for a lot of people that it's like I was doing, like, everything I had ever dreamt of. And it's like, what wonders does life have for me now? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not the trauma of that time. And not that there wasn't trauma, right, and, and whatnot. Um, but it's more, you know, outside of the post-traumatic stress and outside of the TBI and outside of everything else. I think the, the, the thing is, is, like, I had a good run. I had a good ride. Like, I did what Some, I wanted to do. Sometimes grown-ass men... Crying their eyes out because they miss
1: their friends. Yeah, they're, they're not on their team anymore. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. Well and that I mean using my own experience which is not like I never put on a uniform like I don't, I'm not even pretending to know what that's like but um, in my in my experience or from what I've seen is that it's not like you guys are really traumatized by what you've seen and done like that's part of the job you right. expect that It's all the aftermath right It's not being able to reintegrate with your family right It's getting divorced and not seeing your kids because your ex-wife moved back home like, it's all of that, like emotional disengagement or obstacles to having, like, lighthearted, fun, um, you know, just basic joys that yeah. you can't experience anymore, right? It's the loss of humanity in a sense. Not that you're inhuman, but it's. I you're env- right. Though. I yeah. envy. I envy even people within my own family yeah. who have complaints or worries that are not. Life altering. Right. right. Like, wow, well, nice with that be? Right.
0: <laughs> like, right. Um,
3: and previously I'd be like, God, I can't believe you're bitching about this. Right. Yeah, I know. I
0: used to look down on people for like bitch about first. World. I mean, I've gotten yeah. over that, but it used to be like, that's not a real fucking problem.
3: No, I mean, yeah, now I'm, I'm, I'm jealous. Yeah. I'm jealous of your small problems. Yeah. I'm jealous of the fact that. You know, oh, your husband doesn't take his ass out. Trash out. Well, mine jumped off a parking deck. Right, so I mean, I right, right, you know, like right. in, in retrospect, in yeah. comparison, that would be. What
0: is uh, what is what is the chat sorry, have yes. for us? Um, uh, so Kjam, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Uh, any thoughts on center for deployment psychology use of uh, CPT uh, challenging internal dialogue uh, for post traumatic stress TBI patients being efficacious, especially for the high performer personality cluster you outlined.
3: So I think that any therapy is worthwhile. Uh If it works, like even if it sounds stupid, if it's, if it works, it's not stupid, right? Uh I think what we run into is, um, so there was an an ongoing study as of 2020 where, um, and this was a really interesting one because I looked into the researchers' work and they were based out of DC for the military, very well-intentioned, and they were looking at um, inflexible thinking, Mm -hmm. right? Looking at like cognitive rigidity. And what was interesting about their interim report, because when you're funded, you have to provide interim reports, right? And their interim report said that none of the units would participate. Not because these commanders don't care. Right. And I'm assuming, this is what I'm reading into it. Um, I don't think it's that they don't care. I think it's just they have been um, hit so many times with these good idea fairies. right? Where it's like... What is this going to do? Right. And not only that, reading like their premise and their proposal for this research, you know, they're very well-intentioned. They're taking like civilianized ideas and trying to apply them to a special operations population. And I'm thinking these guys and SAF are some of the most adaptive, creative people I've ever met in my life. Like you can make something out of nothing every single time. So it's not that you're inflexible or rigid or too concrete in your thinking. I think it's that the clinical community doesn't understand how you think or how you operate. See,
0: and I think that is one of the real challenges, um, both in dealing with civilians, you know. um, You know, the whole, uh, oh, you were in combat? How did you, you know, did you you have to kill somebody? How did you get over that? And it's like, there was nothing to get over. Like, they were bad guys. Like, people can't. and And so that goes back to the therapy and probably these studies is that, even the most well-intentioned and and uh, you know as objective as they can be, uh, people when they when they put these together or when you're speaking with a therapist, and it's like um, they're projecting their values and and what they think. So you know, how do you feel? You know, did, how you know, like having been in combat, having killed people? That must really affect you. And it's like, well, if that's where you're starting out from, like your premise is completely wrong. I'll
3: give you an example. So, one of the first lectures that I give, and when I'm teaching graduate statistics, is the response to stressful events scale. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and my dad, bless him, he's always like, how's your stress level? And I'm like, well, I don't have to move anywhere and nobody's getting deployed, so I'm fine. That yeah. It's good. Right. But when you look at this scale of stressful events, the top three are like, Somebody dies, somebody gets divorced, um, you know, somebody moves away, or like all of these like top huge stressors. And I'm th- and I use it as a as teaching for my students because you have to think about context, right? Mm-hmm. So for people like us, for lack of a better term, you know, all that stuff is old hat. Like I can pack up a house and move, like I can move to another country, I can move to another country, 34 weeks pregnant, which I've done. Like that's not stressful. And so when you have that kind of therapeutic context, um, I think those are very worthwhile ideas, but I think that it has to be administered by a therapist who absolutely has the context in their back pocket right you know and I think that like when I was divorcing Mike and I had the psychologist marriage counselor who used to be a ranger mm-hmm. telling me like, Walk away, right, walk away now, that was important because he knew like he he'd lived it he 'd breathed it, he knew you know he 'd been to the circus he 'd seen the side shows, so I think all of that's really worthwhile, but I think we, even there's such a distinct difference between like MedCom in the Army, like Medical Command, and then you know soft medicine, mm-hmm. or you know Mother Army and Special Op- or USASOC. So, mm-hmm. or even within USASOC, like mm-hmm. there's USASOC and then there's SF, So, mm-hmm. you know, to have people who are actually who have marinated and experienced all these things that they need to, then deliver therapy for. Mm-hmm. That's extremely important, and we don't like they don't pull from soft enough to have clinicians or therapists or whomever. And I'm just thinking about like 18 deltas or you know ranger medics or whatever. Send them to grad school, like send them to to programs where they can actually do therapy and they can deliver it to the people that they're used to operating among.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And you know they might go to school, they might not go to school, but then they're lost to mother army or they're lost to medcom when they could actually be. Back in the unit, you know, treating people where they actually understand the problem. So I think that, I think all of these ideas have merit. And I do think that in the traditional research, if you look at like cognitive inflexibility or rigidity or that kind of like repetitive inflexible thinking, it does precipitate mental health problems and it does do bad things. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're also talking to a population where...
0: Like being flexible is
3: part of the key. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. I don't really think that's the problem. Right. Um, I think getting caught in a loop right. that you can't get out of is an issue. Right. To um, so see no way out, I think that definitely precipitates suicide. Right. And also, like, just to allow failure. Right. Like, failure is so important and to, to be able to fail and not lose your career is really important as well. Right. You know, you got a DUI that was probably, well, that was a dumb decision, but why were you drinking? Oh, well, you were drinking because of this. Right. You know, the zero tolerance stuff is just like cancel culture. Right. There's no redemption if it's right. zero tolerance. Right. Oh, well, you have an alcohol-related incident, and now you're out of the group.
1: Seen that happen to so many dudes who gave their entire lives to special forces. Yeah. And then they get one DUI yeah. because they're fucking because their marriage has has fallen apart. Yeah, their kids are in another state; they can't see. Yeah, they're dealing with PTSD and yeah. TBI. Yeah. I, I mean, I know these people personally. Well,
0: or, or even worse than that is and the unit when, just when, fucks when like they do. Get, they absolutely yeah,
3: when, fuck when you them. get in
0: a bar fight, you're not the one who started it, but because alcohol was involved, it's an alcohol related, and you're out. And like, I, I I'm gonna editorialize a little
1: bit. Uh, Well, not editorialized. This actually happened, and this guy is out of the Army now. But he got charged with an alcohol-related incident because he was going through some shit. And one of his Army buddies called the police to his home, like, hey, you got to check out my boy. He's having some trouble. Uh, The police came to his house. He goes out on the front deck of the house, uh, out on his front porch, and he'd been drinking. Met with the police. The police talked to him, and they – I. I guess they, I don't know if they actually arrested him, like, put him in cuffs or not, but they're like, we're going to take you in for, me- for, for mental, for mental yeah, health. Yeah. Okay, right. And because he was drunk at that time, the unit decided it was an alcohol-related incident and did everything they can they could have done to, um, to chapter him out of the army when he had, like, 19 years in, boot him out of the army, and take his tab away. They did everything they could, because... He, he. I think he probably was legitimately a behavior issue at that point, but he like given his whole life to to the unit, and now he was having, he was suffering, and he needed help. And they did everything they could to fuck with him, and it was only because of. Maybe I, I can tell more of this story later on, but it took massive intervention to prevent that from happening. To well, you screen. know that and did, he's, he's doing okay now, thank God.
3: That did happen, and the reason I'm interrupting is because. I am sorry, but I wanted, yeah, get no to there was a window and I'm glad you brought this up from like 2011, 2014 where they were pulling tabs from guys who went to their unit and, or went to whomever and said, I'm really struggling or guys who like self admitted themselves would go to the ER, get admitted to psych or whatever. They would just rip their tab. They would pull their tab because you know, they were behavior issue or they whatever. And you know, I don't know who was making those decisions. I know who was in, you know, high command at that time, and I think they're shitty decisions, because that's that's the isolating versus insulating, that's the marginalizing. But but, but
1: meantime they're telling keep, you something else. They're telling keeps, you you can get help.
3: But it keeps suicides yeah. off the books.
0: Right. That's the thing. It is keeps it keeps
3: suicides off the books. So if we get these yeah. guys out of the regiment. Right.
0: Right. They're not our problem. They're not our problem anymore. Right. If
3: they're in the if they're in Mother Army and they commit suicide, right. that's not unspotted. The, the, they're
0: not us. pulling their tab because these guys have done something wrong. They're pulling the tab to cover their ass so that they're not a statistic.
3: Thank you.
0: That that's what yes, they're CIA. doing. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's self serving. That's
1: why a lot of there's a big conversation now. People talk about wokeness in the military. Before that, was political correctness. In my opinion, it's really corporatization. Yes it and is. It's that cover your ass, corporate mm-hmm. mentality that we're trying it's about protecting careers at the end of the sure. day. Sure. Sure.
0: Yeah, it's uh yeah, it's it's, it's something else. I uh...
3: There are some really 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 good soldiers whose tabs were pulled. I mean, one of my most beloved, you know, army family members whatever, had his tab pulled. What an
0: insult. I mean, what an absolute in it's like you're dealing with some shit let's cut your balls off and, and yeah honestly when you've <laughs> yeah. been in for 16 17 years whatever the, the the officer responsible for pulling your tab like they haven't been in that position for very you know i like, mean like they're making an expedient well, the, they're the, making an expedient decision to protect their career i believe
1: it's the commanding general of the jfk special warfare center that pulls tabs i think he's the actual authority that does that from the school yeah, from the schoolhouse. Why would it be the
4: schoolhouse?
3: I because it's it, because
1: it's awarded by then. the schoolhouse. Oh,
3: okay.
1: Yeah, oh. so I think
0: they have authority over that. Well,
3: let's go back and look who was commanding the schoolhouse. Well, and service. honestly though,
0: they may not they may not be operating with all the other, like they don't personally they, know. Yeah, they the might soldier. just get the
3: recommendation. Yeah, they don't yeah. know the
0: soldier. I, I believe there is a packet that gets submitted. Yeah. 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 Whatever it is, whoever it is like it's it absolutely bullshit. I mean, yeah. it is. It is. You know, again, it, it's that. It's that um, saying, "Hey, if there are problems, we want to help." But it, hey, let us know if there are problems, so we can fucking dx your ass, and 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 so that you're not a statistic on our books. N- there's no problem here. Nothing to see here. Yeah, exactly. No data.
3: No yeah. problem.
0: No problem. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: So wrap wrap things up here. Like final thoughts. Uh, is there? I mean, we covered a lot in here. Is there anything else you want to say about your work, about Michael, about where things stand today? Uh, about the, the, this issue in the military, are they grappling with it better? No, no,
3: (laughs) no, No, they're not. I mean, it, it, well, and the thing is, oh, the war's over now. Mm -hmm. Now they're the VA's problem. Right. I mean, no offense to the VA because they're full of very well-intentioned, educated, dedicated people, but the VA doesn't really handle problems all that well, do they? No. So now it's just some. It's just a kick the can. The,
0: the, the, it's
3: a kick yeah. the can.
0: The medical staff in the VA, are, at least here in New York, they're phenomenal. Yeah. But it's the VA, the it's, system. It's, it's the behemoth. It's a, yeah. Yeah. The it's yeah. 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 Um, so, out of curiosity, like yeah. for people who might be watching, who, because one of the challenges, sounds like like with Michael had and other people had, is like. You can, if you wanted to take a trite view of this, you could say, Oh, if somebody's having problems, they should like man up and go see somebody and not like you, whatever.
3: Michael did, but but but,
0: <laughs> yeah. and, but yeah. not only that, but mm-hmm. but we're talking about people who honestly don't even know that they have a problem sometimes, like nothing, things aren't right, but but their perspective is shut down so much. Sometimes.
3: Well, I mean, for Michael's case, he was literally psychotic, like psychosis, like, right. like full blown psychosis, right. And they're just like, okay, go and leave, have a good, have a good leave.
0: Right. So for, for either people, um, you know, our men and women who are either in uniform, uh, or or who are veterans, or maybe they know somebody, they're a family member, Mm -hmm. or they have a friend who seems to be going through these behavioral changes, um, how how do you intervene? How do you get them the help they need? And how do you f- make sure they go to somebody who can differentiate that post-traumatic stress from the TBI from this? Like, what can people do if, if they find themselves in a similar situation?
3: So, you know, the like Kate 1.0 would have probably said, you know, like start here and do this and you know, see this person. If they don't give you the right answer you need, you know, go see this person because that's what I did and that's mm-hmm. the process. Um, At this point, having, you know, a dead husband and, uh, you know, two traumatized children, I would say just start screaming. Mm -hmm. Just start screaming to anybody who will listen, you know, like, screw the career. It's better to have them alive. Mm -hmm. Call your congressman. If you get any flack or any kind of, like, ignorance from anybody, Mm
4: -hmm.
3: jump the chain. Mm -hmm. You know, like... The career would be there. And, you know, they might be pushing papers at, you know, human resources command, but they'll be alive.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and and really just start rattling cages. I don't think that spouses understand, and I certainly didn't, how much power you actually have because we're so conditioned to not do anything to mess with their career. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, if, I, if I'm doing a shoulda, woulda, coulda, mm-hmm. uh, like a decade ago, if I had just said to Mike, you know, fuck this. Like we'll live in a trailer, and I'll work nights in the ER, and you'll be alive. We have a much different life, Um, but I bought into it too, right? I bought into the mystique and the career and the the cool guy shit and doing all the, you know, like oh, I'm so proud of you. Like, yeah, you know, that's part of it. And the tabs are long, tabs are nice, and all the I love me's and everything like that. That's yeah. Don't buy into it because at the end of the day, it doesn't fucking matter. What matters is being alive.
0: And then for, and again, whether they're active duty or veterans, mm-hmm. like we've all heard the sort of the suicide speech. Okay. Um, if people start giving their stuff away, if, you know, they start doing this stuff, like those are the people to watch, but, but you're talking about a community that, that is good at self-concealing. And so are, are there, you know, are there signs? Cause I think a lot of us, I mean, all of us have had, have known people who took their life and there was not. Like, there, there weren't these flares going yep. up. Like, you're like, what the fuck just happened? It's almost like a
3: switch flips, right? Right. Like, everything seems okay, and then, boom, they're gone. Right. Um. Yeah, that's that's a tough one, right? Because the traditional civilian signs right. are much different than the right. other signs. That there are um, cries
0: for help, or there are indicators a lot of times. I,
3: I would say that from what I've studied and read is that if they are under investigation if they have been disciplined if they've fucked up in some way career wise be hyper vigilant okay hyper vigilant if their marriage is disintegrating no they didn't marry a hoe (laughs) like she's not just walking off with another guy right if she is it might be because that guy's nice and isn't you know torturing her um but um, pay really close attention to disintegrating marriages because it's not the lifestyle that's making the marriages disintegrate. It's like the emotional terrorism inside the house, usually. Okay. Um, and like, no offense, because we've all been married and divorced. And sure. I'm not saying any of you. Do sure, that. sure, sure, sure. Um, I mean, case you
0: will marry a stripper and it doesn't work out for some whatever reason.
3: You know, like. I understand that. Like marrying a stripper sounds like a lot of fun, to be honest with you. And give
0: her Um, power of attorney the day before you deploy. Exactly, exactly. Who does that? Yeah, nobody.
3: They're hot and they're fun. Why not? Um,
0: And they really, really love us.
3: (laughs) Sure they do. I mean, I love TRICARE too. I'm in Canada now, so TRICARE is irrelevant. But um, yeah, pay really close attention to disintegrating families because it's not just par for the course. Um, And I... I think I read it, um, it was like a 2013 by Greg Zaroya, I think, in uh, USA Today. And he interviewed a bunch of operators who marriages had disintegrated. And like a good 20% of them were like, I just wish I'd never been married at all. And I think that goes beyond just normal regret. Mm-hmm. I think that goes to, oh, I am emotionally um, bereft and I cannot be married or be in a relationship. I think I think there are flags that we haven't seen our flags, mm-hmm. and and they really are, and it and it needs more study. Okay. And I'm one person. Yeah, <laughs> like right. I can't. Um, I I think it needs a different um, analytical approach. Right. And to stop stop civil you know stop militarizing civilian research methods and data. We're we're trying to solve this with civilian methods, and that's mm-hmm. not going to work. It's contextually distinct. Right. Right. Um, so I think you really need people who have experience doing the research or have some perspective on it and context to do the research. And you have to, you have to allow the research. Like, I know this community pretty well. And thank God I do, because that's why I'm the only person who's actually done what they call in vivo, like person to person. Like, I'm literally the only person in the literature, to my knowledge, who's done face-to-face interviews about suicide and resilience with these guys. And all the rest have been like, oh, here's a survey. right.
0: Right.
3: You know, like you're not going to get answers about that. And what really affects these guys, from what I studied and found, is like, you know, pregnancy loss and, you know, these normal things that you don't think would affect these really, you know, tough, gritty, you know, operator, door kicker type people. They are seriously affected by the same things that affect us. Like one guy told me about. Um, you know, infertility and pregnancy loss, how that just killed him on deployment. And, um, you know, how another was telling me about, you know, the time that they made him spend on resilience training, he just wanted to be with his family. Right. Like, to have that dwell time and to just not be... The answers they gave were just mind-blowing. And so many of them... Sought refuge in like water, whether it was surfing or I mean, just all of this really rich information that you don't get from post deployment right. surveys or right. anything like that. Like,
1: there's some thought too about military spouses uh, frequently having miscarriages, and why are there environmental factors on
3: military oh, I have, bases? I had four. No and reason. Again, no reason. I, I don't. I don't
1: have statistical data on it, but I, I know there's. Anecdotally, there's a lot of people talking about it behind the scenes like why is this happening so frequently to
3: this population well Camp Lejeune just has a class action um, for their what was in their water mm-hmm. like, these are not healthy places and we know that
1: we know that on-base housing has yeah, had huge huge issues that's been the biggest issues. racket for years yeah, yeah. and issues with the, I, I mean I've Interviewed uh, people who their kids had all kinds of problems because, because they the bad mold, drinking the water. Mold. Molds. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Young kids and even special forces uh, guys uh, happen to have an inhaler suddenly because of black mold in their home. But so but that's yeah. like a totally different podcast. Well, well no, I but I mean, do. it's true.
3: Like atypical cancers in special forces, like i published on that. And mm-hmm. like you guys have really, really weird cancers at really young ages. I mean, there's a lot of exposures that we just don't know about. That might be part of it, too.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, if you look at CTE, and that was part of the issue when I was doing uh, my master's research with TBI is that there was no like I had to use all this proxy research with CTE and sports medicine. and it's just it's so different. and there's so many different environmental exposures that it's gonna take independent researchers that have no affiliation with the government because as soon as you tie research funding, that biases your findings. My first doctor, when I was studying um, SF medics, you know, like I initially I was working with command, right? And then one of them uh, said, "He's like, well, what if what if you find something that's really unflattering to our to our command?" And I'm like, "Thanks, bud. Now I can't work with you anymore right. because you said that out loud, right. and now you just bias my whole study. Right. So our relationship's over. Like, you know, just that." kind of command influence you have to do things without command influence you right. have to be able to research without that right. and
1: good luck yeah right
3: it's the dod that's giving you money right you know they can pull strings a bit so we need we need a lot of independence and we need independent scientists to take a look at this because i mean y'all are just going to age well hopefully and it's going to yeah show more and more yeah
0: right? i mean I, I think that it's sort of like the va's grand plan is that's why it takes like 30 days plus to get an appointment is they, they're just waiting for everybody to die off. <laughs> you know? Well, um, you joke,
1: but there's some truth. Oh, to I'm that. not really joking. Yeah, yeah. I'm not really joking. Like when they, when they give you an appointment for six months later, yeah. in that interim, right. People are dying. Right. No, I'm not
0: really joking <laughs> about that. Like I, they, yeah. they make it very inconvenient. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, and hopefully maybe like your, your tort suit, your latest lawsuit and, and more the following, maybe at some point, That'll shake enough trees that somebody will go, okay, you know, we need an outside, you know, an outside source that is independently investigating this and, and getting answers. Hopefully because it it hurts too much. We can't afford these constant lawsuits.
3: Well, and, you know, without making it financially hurt, you know, a billion gazillion dollar organization like the U.S. military and you know, there's no there's no fiber of my being that wants to put an enlisted family right. through a lawsuit. Right. But right. you know what? I will. Yeah. If you knew that Mike was was at risk of dying and you didn't do anything, I'll haul you into court. Yeah. And I'll make you answer for it. Yeah. And I don't want to do that to an individual, but if I do that to an individual, other people might think twice right. about sending somebody home who's at high risk for death.
0: Right. You know, because
3: right. no, like nobody wants that. Right. So, That's right. you know, I'm sorry, but there's going to have to be some sacrificial lambs in this. Yeah. Because my my family, my kids, we sacrifice plenty. Yeah. And there's, yeah. It's, it's time for people to pony up and give yeah. some answers.
1: Well, I really appreciate you coming in on a Sunday and doing this interview. <laughs> this is like a very, this is like not a very common conversation that I think it's held, um, particularly on these like special ops military podcasts like we don't necessarily talk about these subjects enough and and, and with the sort of depth that you're able to speak to it is just very rare
3: it's really weird i mean it's like life imitating art imitating life like it is it it just like obviously this is an issue if this is you know how much it's happened in my own life right right
1: right um so, yeah, I, I really appreciate you, you know, being so open about it and, you know, sharing so much of, uh, you know, Michael and ultimately your own life and your child's, uh, your kids' lives mm-hmm. with me that I I it did definitely feel, like, uncomfortable at some level where, like, I was, like, inside Michael's mind for a while Um and, and seeing all these personal details of your guys' life that I'm like, should I even really know about this? Like, yeah. it, it, it feels very like I was invading mostly Michael's privacy. Um, but I hope that through this conversation and through some of the stuff, the article about about him, that we're able to hopefully help somebody else out there. Yeah. And, and, I'm, and while we're on that subject, I'll go ahead and plug that Sound Off app again. Um, not mm-hmm. that I, I have nothing to do with it other than I know some. Of yeah, the they're not when they're not
0: a sponsor. We're, this yeah. is
1: just us. And yeah. they're they're a non for profit. Uh, and so if you guys check the link down in the description, you'd find sound off. And again, that's for uh, people in the intelligence community, special operations, anywhere in the military or, or governmental service. People who are afraid uh, of being stripped of their security clearance, that they're going to face career repercussions. It, it, they can get on this app and they can get clinical help anonymously. Um, without informing their chain of command or their superiors, so I just plug that again. That maybe that can help somebody who's hurting out there.
3: You know, there's no point in privacy if it just might as well share it all. I mean, yeah, and that app is really important, really, really important. All of this is important. So yeah. I'm, I know I'm happy to share anything because you're trustworthy. You know, you understand, and if we don't talk, it like it's just going to persist. If yeah. we don't talk about it, right. Like,
1: absolutely yeah um so yeah thank you again and um thank you everyone who joined us for this episode for this bonus episode uh, and we'll see all of you guys on friday uh we're going to be back in the studio we're going to have an awesome guest on the show look forward to talking to him and seeing all of you again
0: so thank you kate thanks. thank you kate. thanks for having Appreciate me it. thanks everybody